You're listening to the Plane Talking UK podcast, the UK-based podcast written by a passenger for anyone. And here are your hosts, Carlos Stevings, Matt Smith and Neville Bounds. Only they're not here. Hello. <laughs> Hello, boys and girls. It is Matt here. I'm sat here in the studio all on my own because basically everybody else is skiving. Uh, there's, no, there's no other way to put it. Everyone else is skiving. Carlos has gone to some kind of works dinner. Nev has decided to get an aeroplane and he's gone all the way to Canada to go and see Auntie Liz. Uh, however, I am delighted to say that I do at least have one of our, our regular hosts with us. Armando is, thank goodness, is back from his honeymoon. He's looking surprisingly relaxed. Uh, which uh, I, I, I'd, I'd read into that, what you will. Uh, so, uh, Armando, I'm so pleased you're here. Hello, mate. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> I, uh, well, I promise that Nev and I have not had a falling out. However, we right. continue to, uh, per our contract that only one of us can of be course, on the show absolutely. at the same time. Yeah, uh, that, that's um, got to be, it's a beauty thing, right? You can only have two very handsome presenters on at the same time. That's how it works. Uh, we'll just call it bandwidth. Beauty bandwidth. <laughs> Fair enough. So you yeah. now, obviously, it, it, how was the honeymoon? Did you have a nice time? You went to Puerto Rico, I believe. We did go to Puerto Rico. We, uh, I'll keep this short, but it was awesome uh, to go back to where I grew up oh, as an adult and go do all the touristy things. Um, we were a little bit curious as to how it was going to go after Hurricane Maria. Oh, you God, know, you, yeah. you sort of hear conflicting stories about the recovery efforts, but what we found was generally the island is is mostly back back to normal and and we had good conversations with with people there um and they they really talked about how the the towns came together and helped each other out over the last year and a half or almost two years but largely everything was back to normal and we stayed in some some beachside resorts we stayed up in the mountains uh lots of horseback riding some bioluminescent bays and kayaking and you know all the uh, typical honeymoon stuff on a, on a beautiful island while still going to see some of my uh, childhood places, including a helicopter ride that my beautiful bride uh, got me wow. over Old Town San Juan, which was awesome. How cool is that? So, I mean, I have to ask the obvious question here. Uh, was it a family holiday or was it just you and the lovely wife? No, it was just the two of us. Oh, so who was looking after Maddie? Uh, she was with her grandparents oh, the whole week. So wow, okay. And and, and did she yeah. have a good time? I dare, I dare say she was sport rotten, wasn't she? Yeah, absolutely. I I think even Maddie's going to have to go on a on a diet after right. this, okay. <laughs> you know, because yeah, you get spoiled yeah. at your grandparents' yeah. house. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, a whole week of basically just ice cream, essentially. <laughs> yeah, that's it. She's got about six more weeks till she starts school, so right. uh, it was oh, good wow. for the grandparents to have her for a week. Oh, how nice is that? And how nice is that? Well, uh, thank goodness you're here. Welcome, welcome, and thank you for uh, coming back from your honeymoon and joining us. Uh, well, I'm happy to be here with the esteemed. Uh, Coco co-hosts. Well, yeah, absolutely. We yeah, so we, we're going to work our way through that. Obviously, big shoes to fill with there being no Nev or uh, Carlos this week. So we thought we'd do our very, very best. Uh, the last time that we spoke to this individual, he was actually sat here to my right in the studio here, which was a real, real honour. Uh, welcome, Stephen Ivy. How are you, mate? I'm doing well, Matt. How are y'all? Yeah, very, very good. So, so you're so let, let, let's get this right. So you're you're obviously in Charlotte, Armando, aren't you? So uh, you are in Atlanta or thereabouts. 
Yeah, I'm outside of uh, Atlanta in one of the suburbs, uh, Carrollton. I'm actually closer to Alabama right now than I am Atlanta. So, yes, that's no, that, yeah. that's cool. So uh, now, uh, actually, Michael was saying the last time that he he spoke to you, um, of course, you were still doing survey flying because things have changed a little bit since then. It has, it has. I've upgraded to a jet and wow. fly people around now. So major change. Yeah, absolutely. You've been, um, obviously, I presume, obviously, this time of year, of course, you're very busy. I mean, you must be doing routes. You must be <laughs> doing sectors out of your ears at the moment. Yeah, I, I am. I'm, I'm staying busy. Um, I went back up to be based in Chicago to get more flying time, and uh, it's been working out that way. So I've usually gone for about four to five days out of the week, home for two days, then going back up. So Wow, wow. This is yeah. a ridiculous question to ask, I know, but I assume you're still loving it. Yeah, uh, well, yes, 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 I am. In the main, still very much enjoying Some it. Some days are better than others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You could say that about any job, to be fair. <laughs> some very days, you, some days you wake up and you think, why didn't I just stay in bed? Why, why, why did I go to work? This is clearly a, a bit of a disaster. So uh, uh, thank you for joining us, Stephen. Much appreciated. We shall uh, move on now to our next esteemed guest now this is the first time uh, anybody who listens to he, he pops up on podcasts all over the place he's a bit of a legend in his own right as well in fact actually he did appear in a video that i did with micah not that long ago in fact and it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show for the very first time uh, uh, mr robert fairburn hey matt thanks <laughs> how are you how are you I'm doing doing quite well. A little steamy here in the swamp that is Washington D.C., but uh, but doing pretty well on the whole. Yeah, so it sounds like we've pretty much got most of the East Coast covered, from what I understand this this evening. But uh, so, w what's new with you? What have you been up to of late? Oh, let's see. I guess the last time some of you may have seen me was with uh, with Micah at the uh, the Udvarhazy uh, Udvarhazy building for the uh, the Innovations in Flight event, which was quite a quite a long day, quite a fun day. Um, since then, I've mostly been here in D.C. I've been doing some bartending to help a couple of friends out that were a little shorthanded during the holidays and wow. working on some music projects, some photography projects. Unfortunately, I have not gotten a lot of flying done, but it looks like I'm going to probably address that this coming week. So Good. Well, uh, that's, 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 the... that's about where I'm at. So uh, so uh, for, for those uh, who, who aren't familiar with uh, with you, Robert, what, what is your chariot of uh, choice when you're in the air? <laughs> Well, it's the one behind you there. Um, ah, right. I, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am a, a private pilot, general aviation pilot with no commercial ratings or anything of the sort, but I like to fly the little, uh, you know, bug smashers around. And uh, that, huh. that one behind that fancy looking car there that belongs to a friend of mine is, is my airplane, although my airplane's been grounded for almost two years now for okay. reasons I won't go into here. So I'm flying those that belong to other people at the moment. But uh, still get up and go flying a bit and uh, like to hop around and do oysters and crabs and all the usual $100 meal outings. Wow. That is just so, that is so cool. Do a I, fair bit of like uh, pilots and paws, animal rescue flying as well. So that's fun. Oh, wow. Oh, no, we need to come back to that. That, that sounds fascinating. What's, the, what's, the, what's that all about? A uh, short version is Pilots and Paws is an organization that basically matches pilots or with aircraft up to uh, rescue animals that need to get moved. So, for example, sometimes a state will outlaw pit bulls, for example, and uh, this happened a couple of years ago. There was a, I, I don't know if it was county or the state of Georgia, but somewhere had outlawed pit bulls. And so they couldn't take them into rescues and adopt them back out to homes. And a rescue organization up in Vermont said they would take in something like 35 pit bulls. And 
a pilot from North Carolina was flying them three or four at a time up here to the DC area. And then I was trading off with them and flying them up to Vermont and dropping them off at uh, Burlington to be picked up by the shelter where they would eventually find another home. Oh um, and it's really just basically anyone that's trying to move an adopted animal from one place to another. Um, sometimes it's large groups like that, the, the rescue organizations, and sometimes it's just this particular animal has found an adopter in another state and they aren't sure how to get them there. That is that that that's an awesome project. That's that must be that must be quite rewarding, I suppose. When you, it, it's yeah. a lot of fun. It's kind of like doing angel flight, except you don't have to have an instrument rating. You don't have to have two hundred and fifty or three hundred hours, whatever it is, and and your schedules are not as tight, um, and your passengers don't generally complain. They usually look out the window <laughs> and fall asleep a few minutes off the ground. And if you're really lucky, then when you get out, you get a bunch of you know animal kisses. So it, it's pretty fun. <laughs> Okay, well, well, that 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 is cool. Like, that's the one. Of the, that's the one thing I hate about my job, actually. Believe it or not, is the fact that you should, sometimes you think maybe lorry driving is the way forward because uh, you know a uh, load of chickens in in a in a load of crates behind you is not gonna not gonna cause you you know not gonna argue with you if you take a wrong turn. <laughs> but <Yeah. laughs> perhaps I should be. Uh, Perhaps I should be uh, do that instead. Anyway, that I have one more guest that I need to uh, introduce. Uh, he doesn't need an introduction. Let's be honest. He lives in Maine, a very beautiful part of the world, as I say to complete our East Coast picture. It gives me great pleasure to welcome back on the show. Uh, it's been too long, actually. So welcome, Micah. Nice to see you, mate. Well, great to see you too, and thank you so much for having me. And it hasn't been quite that long, I don't suppose, because uh, we sort of uh, chatted a little bit well, uh, uh, yes, a couple true. of weeks ago from the Udvarhazi Center. It yeah, was, it no, was that's short. True. But... Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> All my weeks uh, blur into one. I'm afraid, Michael. I can't remember what I had for <laughs> breakfast. It felt felt like a long time ago since I last spoke to you. But uh, what have you been doing with yourself? Obviously, you, you were at the Udvarhazi Center uh, a few weeks back. It was, uh, I think, three weeks back. It was the Uverhazi Center where I met Robert for the first time and we became new old friends. And uh, then uh, the following week, believe it or not, I was able to attend a christening of a brand new destroyer at Bath Ironworks, a USS Inua, oh, wow. an agent class destroyer. And that was absolutely fabulous. I had never been to any kind of an event like that. And the governor was there and the two senators were there and three senators were there actually. And the wife of the woman for whom the ship was named after. And that was a fabulous day. And then uh, let me see the highlight of today besides being on the show is believe it or not, within the past five minutes, I just got an email from beautiful Barbara Parrish, who I Aww. haven't heard from in forever. And she is alive and well and says that she'll be in touch and says hello to everybody. Oh, that's that's nice. That's good to hear. Hello, Barbara. Nice to hear from you. Uh, right. Well, um, I think that's all the introductions uh, to do. I, I, see, I, I'm not used to this, you see. It's like Carlos deals with all this, and I'm just checking my show notes. Um, right, yes, yes, yes. Right, okay. Yeah, so next up... <laughs> It gives me great. It is time to do seamless. Things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I need to go and have a lie down. I, I, it is uh, time to get some aviation news underway. So, if everybody is ready, ready, excellent. Ready. Let us go. So, kicking off the uh, first news story, please. Armando, I'm going to throw this in your direction, if I may. Yeah, so this first story is actually from the Aviation Herald, and it happened last Saturday, June 29th. So, it was the United 
uh, Airlines Airbus A319-100 registration 837 Uniform Alpha was performing flight UA2098 from New York's LaGuardia to Houston Intercontinental uh, down in Texas with 128 passengers and five crew. They were climbing out of LaGuardia's runway 31 when the clue, uh, crew declared an emergency reporting hydraulic issues. The destination, the new destination was Newark. They stopped the climb at 8,000 feet. The aircraft headed for an ILS approach to Newark's runway 22 left. Uh, then on approach, the crew requested a delay in vectors while troubleshooting the issue. They advised that they expected to be able to vacate the runway. Um, the aircraft landed on runway 22 left about 17 minutes after it departed. And then as soon as it touched down, the fire commander declared 22 left closed. Uh, all the proceeding arrivals went around. The crew immediately announced that they needed to evacuate. So the tower advised all aircraft on approach and the ground that the airport was currently closed due to the emergency. The aircraft did come to a stop with both left main tires deflated. Uh, it was evacuated via the slides. 12 passengers received minor injuries. Uh, no reports of debris on the Guardia's runway 31. Um, so it kind of just summarizes the airport reopened about an hour later. And um, yeah, so it looks like it was some kind of hydraulic failure leading to, um, uh, you know, Stephen is probably better than I at, at, at this kind of emergency, but looking at the pictures that were taken, it looks like the, uh, the tires blew out and the, the wheels themselves, the wheel assembly themselves ground down to pretty much about 50% of their, <laughs> you know, the height that they should be. Yeah, they kind of went down to the hub and then even dropped down into the, um, I guess it's that emergency arresting system at the center of the runway. But I would venture to say um, if they did lose hydraulics, they probably lost their braking and they were probably coming down to the end and they just pulled the parker brake and just ate up what was left just to come to a stop because there's nothing left on those tires. Yeah, right. Looks uh, looks like it was you know, surprising that they kept it under control with that with that much uh, braking probably on the left side. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually looking at the picture right now. You can kind of see where that, that front nose gear tire, too, is kind of um, bent out of shape as well. It's kind of, uh, if you just look there, it's kind of cockeyed a little bit. Yeah, I think Remember? if I, yeah. yeah, trying to get it up there. Uh, it's they, definitely they, sitting cockeyed yeah. to one side. Yeah. yeah. It's also very flat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, definitely that. flat. Also that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if I didn't know any better, I'd say it was actually part of the tarmac. You know, it's like it's like they tarmac round it. That's what that was, that's what it looks like from from here. But uh, yeah, actually, there's an, there's another thing that I want to mention uh, in in this. Um, uh, story if that's all right for everyone uh and i've got a little bit of a vid video here that is from the the evacuation i think isn't it um that i was uh playing to to these guys at the start of the show this this is one of the things that really disturbs me so this is the evacuation of said um aircraft um which is fine now a lot of people have got an issue with the fact that the guy was actually um recording essentially while he was evacuating i suppose that's uh, that is a concern really um perhaps uh, you guys want to sort of talk through through this video i do have a few things to say about this when we're ready <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, do feel free to sort of talk about them as the video is playing, to be fair. Well, first of all, I have great issues with him taking out his camera. This is what people don't understand, and it drives me crazy. Mm. And I want to say, are you something crazy that I'll leave a word out? But an evacuation means that there's an emergency. It means that there is imminent danger. What that means, look, at there he goes grabbing his luggage right on camera. That means you get out of the plane. You leave everything that is not on your body. If you're concerned about medical needs and things like that, that means you wear a vest, you wear a fanny pack, you don't take off during the plane while you're in the aircraft. But you get out of the plane, you don't grab anything because not only are you slowing yourself down, you're slowing down people behind you. And you may be pushing people in front of you and somebody may trip and fall, which slows down everyone. The plane could have exploded. It, in this particular case, it wasn't going to. No. But they didn't know what was causing the, the incident. They didn't know why they were evacuating. All they knew is that the slides were extended. Yeah. Fire uh, fighters were there. They needed to get out of the plane. Get out of the plane. Save yeah. your life and save everybody else's life. There's nothing else you should be thinking about at all. No. And he's far from the only person grabbing luggage. You can see even in oh, that yeah. little limited video, at least a couple other people carrying bags out. Well, here you go. There's everybody's got a bag on just about. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous, isn't it? And I've come up with two solutions for this. One possible solution would be anybody that grabs a bag is prosecuted for endangering the lives of others. I think that would work really well. But another one that I think is guaranteed to work and would be a problem on the first plane that this happened to, but it would never happen again, is if we had snipers stationed there and everybody that had a bag was taken out, nobody else would ever grab a bag when they evacuated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that is a, a radical solution. Uh, I'm I, I suspect it would probably work, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, and this is the thing. Weirdly, I, I I am a little bit on the fence of this. I don't particularly have a massive problem with an evacuation being filmed because I mean to be fair, other than everybody grabbing their bags, which we've we've covered, I know weeks and you know virtually a week doesn't seem to go by where where we're talking about passengers not doing what they were asked to do. Um, I, I, weirdly, I, the filming isn't the thing that bothers me the, the the most about that. It's the very fact that he clearly is filmed picking up his own luggage, and of course there's another issue with that in the fact that he's got his phone in one day and his baggage in the other. Um, his hands are full, and you know you're supposed to sort of cross your arms as you go down the slide, aren't you? Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm a little torn. The video in, in and of itself doesn't bother me all that much. And particularly, as you can see, as he starts to stand up, the video just goes all over everywhere. So he he's paying attention to getting out of the plane rather than holding the video steady. Or perhaps That's he's part focusing of the problem, on picking Robert. up his bag. But, but he's, uh, he's, he's waving the camera all over the place. And, and you know, I, if someone hits record on their camera and then just gets off the plane and turns around and films, I, that's not the end of the world to me. But um, but I but I, I agree. It's sort of it's it's it means he's focusing on something else at least part of the time, and that's that's certainly not ideal. But there's two problems with the video thing. One is first of all, it doesn't meet Nev technical requirements. It was vertical. It wasn't horizontal. <laughs> right. <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a real problem there. But secondly, but here's the other issue. If he's if you're doing if you take the time with the, to take out your camera or your phone, and you do the video, and then that may not take very much time. What if he drops the phone? He's going to go after it, and he's going to slow yeah. everybody else down. Yeah, that's true. That's the problem. Well, that's fair. Phone stays in your pocket. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of that. It's um, I, I, Yeah, go on. And additionally, as, as Owen has pointed out, this is an easy evacuation. It was an A319. It's low to the, comparatively low to the ground. 
if they're evacuating from a 747 or an A380, which is two decks, the slides are much steeper. The bag goes down the slide, hits somebody else, it could knock them out. Well, and I just want to point out something, too. You know, my, my airplane, we don't have slides. We just have an air stair on the forward left door. So that's the only way out, really, unless you go out over the wing. And if you've got something in your hand, you can't hold on to the handrails to go down, which means you're probably going to fall down the stairs and cause everyone else to get stuck in the plane. So just throwing that out there for in case you want to take your bags with you out of a regional jet. Well, yeah, no, I seriously exactly. do believe they need to prosecute individuals who leave with bags for endangering the lives of others uh, be, well, because it's really happening. Grab a, grab a, you know, a soft bag of the backpack. Oh, hello. We've lost... Um... See, I'm sorry, that was my fault. Okay, that's fine. Um, <laughs> He's back. Good. Carry on. Like, uh, looked like what he grabbed was a backpack, but some of the people that, you know, have these bags that are more hard-sided luggage with wheels and stuff, even the ones that are designed to fit under a seat, you know, you start to wonder how even if you are managing to get it out with you to the door, like how, you know, is it going to get in the way getting out of one of those, for example, maybe the window exits, you know, would be a better case here. Those aren't very big, those doors. And, and, you know, and then getting onto the slide with this bag that may weigh 30 or 40 pounds and has hard corners and wheels and everything else, you, you're probably not going to injure just yourself doing that. Yeah, indeed. You send that bag flying down the slide after the person who went before you, it's certainly not going to be a good look. Well, no, no. This is it. This, this, this is the this is the issue, isn't it? I, I, I mean, as I say, we're, I, I'm almost getting bored of of covering these stories and the fact that they, you know, people do keep they, they just, just, you know, cabin crew clearly state that you know, leave your bags behind, you know, evacuate from the air, aircraft. As you say, I mean, I suppose in the unlikely event that perhaps you had some urgent medication or something like that, you needed to bring with you. I guess there could be in a very in, in extreme circumstances that could be okay but uh, yeah. yeah I don't know well, but... someone, someone in one of the chat rooms I'm in and I, I can't remember offhand which one it is but one of the chat rooms someone men who travels quite a lot mentioned that he has a very small bag you know think something maybe you know 10 inches by 10 by 6 inches and a, an inch or two thick that he keeps in the seat back pocket in front of him and it contains you know medication passport the, the things that would really cause you a problem if you were to lose them and the way he says is you know it, it gives me everything I need to make it 24 hours and like get out and continue my trip but none of my luggage it's just ID a credit card or two you know it might be his cash medication if there is anything like that and you know like a phone charger and he says when he gets on a plane he puts his phone in that bag it sits in the seat back pocket and if he were to ever to evacuate it would be grab that little bag and go which I, I can kind of understand that and something of that size and weight is not likely to cause a lot of issues but um, but that's also a form of preparation that most people aren't aren't taking on people assume they're not gonna have to get out of the airplane in a hurry and then when they do they act like it's routine yeah yeah, I agree. Uh, right, okay, we're going to move on to the next story. And uh, the next story, as per usual, is obviously it has to be a Ryanair story because those are very much the rules. Uh, it is uh, on uh, the Future Travel Experience. Dot com and the headline is Edinburgh Airport 
uh, and Ryanair trial early baggage check-in service. Now, actually, I, if I seem to recall, Jet2 already do what they call like a twilight uh, check-in service for luggage, which uh, some friends of mine have actually used, Lisa and Lee. That they say that works really well, where you check them in the night before. So, like, if you've booked into a hotel uh, on site for the early flight, you can actually check in the night before. I assume this is something similar. Let's find out together. A new luggage service is being trialled at Edinburgh Airport. Will allow passengers to check in their bags the night before their flight. The, the month-long trial will be available free of charge to Ryanair passengers who are staying at the Hampton by Hilton Edinburgh Airport Hotel. Guests will be asked when checking in if they are flying with Ryanair before 9am the next morning and offer the chance to check in on site. Their bags will then be collected by Edinburgh Airport staff. The luggage will be tagged and handled by security, cleared staff members before being screened as normal and being stored in a secure area before placed into the baggage system in the morning to be loaded on the flight. Adrian Witherow, who is the Chief Operating Officer at Edinburgh Airport, says uh, making the journey through the airport as easy as possible is important to us and this trial will make the check-in and luggage part more accessible, meaning passengers can head straight to the departure lounge and start their trip that little bit quicker. It's great that Ryanair and Hampton by Hilton Edinburgh have brought this into trial and will be working closely with each other to ensure the service is smooth and efficient. We're keen to see how it works over the next few uh, over the next month before evaluating and deciding on our next steps. Ryanair senior communications manager um, Mr. Ruse said that Ryanair is pleased to team up with Edinburgh Airport and Hampton by Hilton Edinburgh Airport to uh, offer our early bag drop service to Scottish customers, allowing them to save time and streamline the check-in process. Ryanair customers can now simply go to the bag in uh, the bag drop kiosk in the hotel between 7:30 p.m. and 8:30 p.m. the night before their bag before their flight to avail of this service leaving them free to head straight to departures the next day and relax ahead of their trip i mean i won't really more because it's sort of fairly straightforward or what they're saying i mean I, I really quite like the idea of getting getting rid of your luggage if you like the night before this this seems very sensible i don't know uh, how how you guys feel about this let's start with micah i mean do, do they offer something similar uh, to this in the US? Oh no, there, there's no service whatsoever in the USA on any of the local airlines or US airlines, mm. but uh, at least nothing that I'm aware of. And I, I think it's a great idea. It's fabulous other than for me, and it's just my packing style, my bag isn't ready to go until I'm ready to go. So trying to <laughs> drop it off at 7.30 p.m. the night before, well, I'm going to be using it in the morning. And uh, so... So, I, you know, that makes it very, very difficult. What, you know, granted, there's a carry-on, I'm assuming, and I don't mm -hmm. know whether you have to pay for your carry-ons with Ryanair or, or how that works. And I suppose you pay for everything with Ryanair. Is <laughs> <that right? laughs> I, I, well, know. yes, I, 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 that, that, that is getting worse because I know and they keep changing the rules, which is catching a few people out. In fact, ironically, it actually even caught me out uh, going through the... Um, because uh, I'd been assured that the bag that I was taking with me was the right, the right size, the new right size now, and basically it wasn't when I got there because uh, uh, the bottom wouldn't fit into the, the although it was sort of, of yeah, it's just it's just one of those, just one of those things. It's uh, I, I, one of the things that I think is interesting actually because the service I mentioned a moment ago, which Jet Two do, um, is actually that check-in takes place in the airport before you go to the hotel so I quite like the idea of, of you being able to get rid of your bags in in the hotel without having to to go to the airport if you like to get rid of it I mean I, yeah that's certainly nice 
Yeah, absolutely, and it's certainly not a sub. You'd sort of expect that, perhaps, with a with a premium airline, if you if you like, if you were flying business. Well, or I was going to say, as yeah. far as I know, the only thing really like this that's available anywhere is if you have enough status with some airlines, they'll you know they'll pick you up in private car from the from the hotel near the airport, and you know instead of going through the normal security path and um, and check in, they'll take you to a private entrance and you go through separate security and check in there. And then they'll often, some of them will drive you directly to an airplane in, you know, I know um, United does it at Frankfurt, for example, and they had a partnership where they were doing it in Mercedes vehicles for a while. And I think um, someone, I think someone does it, I think in, someone does it with Porsches as well elsewhere in Germany. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but those, those services are very, very limited. They're by invitation only. And you have to have very high tier status with whichever airline is in question for it to apply to you. And it, it's, you know, it's an, it's a nice perk, but it mostly deals with um, transfers as well. It's coming in on one flight and going to the next without going through the terminal or, uh, or from your hotel, but it, it certainly doesn't apply to, you know, the large volume of people. And, and I, I mean, it's, it's great, but it's not really doing much for the average person's experience. I, I'm kind of with Micah here that the bag, being packed ahead of time is a bit of a challenge as far as I'm concerned, though I suppose it's something you could plan around with a carry-on bag. But um, it's interesting to me that it's Ryanair doing it, particularly given yeah. that, again, I've never flown them, but my impression is you basically have to pay for you know every step on the way into the airplane. I mean, well, there's a 50 quid charge for it, I'm sure. I mean, at, at this stage, it's just a trial. So I, I, I yeah. guess because of that, it, it's, it's free. And of course, it's only going to work if you are staying at the Hotel by Hilton. Uh, Edinburgh mm -hmm. Airport. Uh, so uh, you know, perhaps uh, as I say, I know Jet Two have been trialling something similar, but that's actually involving you going to the airport. But again, to be fair, I mean, most people, if they're going to stay in, a, in an airport, you know, hotel over overnight, it's not really that big a deal to jump on the bus, sort of, you know, when when you arrive, right. if you like, to to drop your bag, and then because one of the nice things about about flying. Um, because I always do sort of hand luggage and stuff, is it precisely that. There's no bag job to, to do. So yeah. you just take your, your carry-on with you and, uh, and off you go. But um, anyway. I suppose I, I think part of my question here is, you know, I, I, maybe I'm being a bit cynical with this, but what is this accomplishing for Ryanair? That, you know, what's the, what's the motivation behind it? And, and, you know, how is it kind of working to them? Is it, is it just a way of distinguishing themselves from another low-cost carrier or – as I suspect, is there something that it simplifies for them? Is it that they can load their their uh, baggage containers ahead of time and they can speed up their departure so they can, you know, tighten their connections and that kind of stuff? It, it feels to me like that's probably where the motivation's really coming from. And, you know, and that's great. That, that certainly doesn't hurt anybody if it doesn't change other things negatively. But it well, seems Owen like has said thing that would be very hard to scale up to be effective. You know, it's, as you said, it's one hotel, you know, e you'd have to do it to all of the nearby airport hotels and then you'd still yeah. have probably a significant portion of the passengers coming either from other flights or not staying in a hotel first. Owen, who is in the chat room, and he mentioned he has considerable experience flying with Ryanair. He says that there's, uh, it gets a, uh, it'll help Ryanair get bags to the planes quicker. He says there's less staff needed in the morning ground shift because the bags are already there and uh, the same number of staff on, on more aircraft. So that works out too. But he also explained that uh, with Ryanair, the Rule of thumb says that if you say it, you have to pay it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, also, the, the, this may be a trial with a view to, you know, maybe offering a premium service later on. So I, I guess they're just trying it to see to see how it how they get on, I guess. Yeah, it's a trial. It's hard to hard to say too much about it. But it's an interesting mm -hmm. idea. I, I just I think it'd be difficult to scale to being useful across, you know, a, a whole airline. 
Indeed. Anyway, we must move on to the next story. Micah, this one is with you. Via Air ceases operations entirely, but citing a pilot shortage. This comes out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and from uh, KATV, Channel 7 in Little Rock, that flights were canceled, refunds were promised, and Arkansas travelers have run out of patience. The problem seems to be big problems for one little airline. KATV spoke with a group of nine young women that had a destination bachelorette party, that's a hen party, planned for Austin, Texas, courtesy of Via Air. But a week before the departure, the small airline told Little Rock National Airport it was done flying in and out of Arkansas. I'd never actually got a notice that the flight had been canceled, but some of the other girls that were on the trip did get notice from the airline, and that was about six days before the flight, said Lauren Ward of Little Rock. Ward said the flight to Austin with eight of her friends was supposed to leave Little Rock on May 17th. None of the ladies had any idea that on May 10th, Via Air notified Little Rock National Airport that it would discontinue flights out of Little Rock. And it's not just Little Rock. Uh, Via Air has all but ceased operations entirely, citing a pilot shortage. The plan to begin service to Memphis next week was scrapped. Online ratings for Via Air have plummeted. Can you imagine? The ratings have plummeted because they don't serve anybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, KATV tried to contact representatives of Via Air, but like the experience of Lauren Ward and some of her friends, it's been a frustrating and unsuccessful endeavor. I mean, this the I mean, this pilot shortage thing does seem to be um, sort of romping up, actually, doesn't it? It, it, it? We're certainly having these problems. I think was it last year? I think Ryanair were cancelling flights left, right, and centre, and that was purely and simply because of a a pilot shortage. I mean, I assume it's not just UK-based airlines that are experiencing this. I assume it's a, a, across the world. Well, and the other thing to bear in mind is that Via Air pretty much focuses on what's known as essential air service. And essential air service means flying out of little airports. It's all government subsidized service. They don't make any money whatsoever at all, except for the federal subsidy that they're getting. So they just they can't afford to do it. Mm. Yeah. I just, yeah, I think a lot of the problem comes down to, you know, the pilot shortage is a real thing. And it's unless something changes, it seems to be getting worse every year. It's one of the reasons, obviously, the manufacturers and the airlines are talking a lot about single pilot commercial airliners, which is, a, you know, a sidetrack. I don't necessarily want to push this down here, but, um, but it's something that's causing that conversation. And, and, you know, the flip side of this, and I'm sure Stephen can weigh on, in on this is, you know, we know to get to the point of having the licenses and training required to go fly commercially, you've spent an awful lot of money on training and the pay just isn't commensurate with it. Um, and that's probably particularly true for someone like Via. I know there's some degree of competition with the regionals and the pay is a little better than it used to be. But when, when you start looking at these really small carriers and like, as Micah said, the EAS carriers that serve very small communities with mostly empty airplanes on a government subsidy, they, there just isn't any pay there. And so, you know, they know right off the bat, every pilot coming through the door is out the door as soon as they have the hours to get a job somewhere else. And they just can't keep people on staff because there aren't enough pilots now trying to work commercially to staff them. And I think over time, if it continues and, you know, the, that problem is going to move further and further up the food chain, so to speak. And, you know, and while the pay is part of the problem, you know, it's not all of it. You have to have the pilots trained to, for the pay to fix the problem. But... Um, a lot of people, probably fewer people are going into flying commercially because there isn't the pay in it for the first, you know, five to ten years to pay off your loans. 
Mm. And you also have to look at the airline, and, and if you know the USA, the majority of the cities that they serve, and that's what essential air service is, are tiny. They have very few passengers. Cities like Montgomery, Alabama, uh, Tucson, Arizona, uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Jackson, Mississippi, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Amarillo, Texas. I mean, tiny little cities, and they ferry them to larger airports, but it's just a very, very small regional service. Indeed. Actually well... Uh, yeah, uh, I was just I was just going to throw a couple, couple things out real quick. So, the the essential air service, all those cities that Mike and named actually aren't even on the list because they have too many people. So, essential air service is any airport that does not have scheduled flight service within, I believe it's an hour and a half to two hours or 180 mile radius from their location. So, places like Plattsburgh, New York, Ogdensburg, New York, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. A um, couple of places out west, Moab, Utah, and some others. Um, they all places qualify. in West Virginia. Yeah, some um, Clarksburg, Parkersburg. And there's one other one I can't think of off the top of my head. Anyway, but that's the Central Air Service program. There's two different variances in there. You got the actual Central Air Service. You have an alternate where the um, local government actually chips in money as well instead of all the federal government funds. But um, going back to the Vire thing. They used to be a 135 company that primarily did charters with uh, what, uh, 120-Brazilias, Embraer Brazilias, and they got an essential air service program um, a couple years back, but they tried to grow and upgrade to 145s, and as they were doing this, they got rid of their Embraer 120s, and they essentially had a rise in cost, and they also lost their essential air service route. So they were kind of throwing darts on the board to kind of find out where uh, they could do right. service from, okay. uh, places like Little Rock and all that. So yeah, I think, uh, Michael, you were referring probably mostly to the cities where they were taking passengers to to connect them to larger regional services and stuff like that. Those are at least regional hubs and in some cases probably larger aircraft hubs that, that they were trying to get those passengers to from the smaller communities. And for the for the UK listeners, a 135 is a charter license, a charter operator in the, the FAA regs. Indeed, actually, uh, while, while we're talking uh, about sort of the pilot shortages and stuff, uh, one story that was pinged across to me uh, uh, earlier today, actually, uh, quite an interesting one. This is actually from RTE, which is um, one of the uh, Irish uh, broadcasters and they were saying actually take to the skies Aer Lingus wants more female pilots so Aer Lingus is currently taking applications for its future pilot training program and while the program is very popular uh, the application rate among women is only around 7% the airline which uh, employed its first female pilot uh, in 1977, wants to encourage more women to fly. It's appointed uh, Red Sea to conduct uh, research to investigate why applications among women is so low. Uh, Davina Platt, Director of Operations at Aer Lingus, said, unfortunately, there are still some barriers uh, and some myths in terms of applying to be a pilot. We discovered that males are still more likely to consider STEM subjects. The, the, the role of a pilot is, discussing, is discussed with males uh, considerably more than females in schools and colleges. We found that 90% of males and 8% of females discuss it uh, with career guidance counsellors. Um, and as I say, the, the long, the, the hope, the, the, one of the reasons why I was mentioning this, I'm trying to phone there, but uh, the thing that's so interesting about this, so Aer, Aer, Aer Lingus are basically about to offer uh, the, the future pilot
pilot training program uh, and what's so interesting is it's fully funded so the future of pilot training program is fully a fully funded program Aer Lingus accepts 12 applicants and it takes 18 months to complete that's really why it's so interesting because I um, obviously obviously we, we we talk quite often about how expensive it is to become a pilot, especially if you want to become a commercial pilot, uh, especially in the UK. I know it's uh, not quite so bad for, for you guys in the US. Um, but yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that, that um, it's, uh, it's actually a fully... Uh, um, Sorry, it's a fully funded program. Uh, and anybody who wants to apply, I should just say this, the closing date for applications for the Future Pilot Training Program is on, uh, I think it's Monday, July the 8th. Uh, so if you're listening to this on the Sunday, which is when this goes out, uh, you've still got time to get your application in. So it's www.airlingus.com forward slash careers www.airlingus.com forward slash careers as I say the you haven't got long uh, but fill in the form get it uh, get it sent in as I say you've got till Monday uh, the, the close of play on Monday to, to get your application in as I say interesting because it is a fully funded uh, pilot training program so definitely worth a look if you want to get in the air uh, right, okay, on to the next story. I'm trying to think that, that Actually, should be... Actually, before yeah, go uh, you go on, Matt, um, I'm back now that I had ah. a computer meltdown here, so I'm <laughs> sure it was the best show ever. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> here uh, in the U.S., just recently I've been doing a lot of aviation camps and STEM camps with oh, yes. the Civil Air Patrol uh, displaying the aircraft. Um, and there are organizations out there, especially for minorities and young ladies that want to get into aviation um, the 99s, the Women in Aviation International, uh, EAA, AOPA, they all have uh, scholarships available for flight training, whether it's uh, basic flight training or advanced flight training. So um, that's one of the things that I, that I like to talk about um, when I'm out there with the, with the kids. And they're usually, you know, ages 12 to 18 or so. And uh, one of the things that I found when I fly uh, air cadets is uh, – some of the young ladies actually make great pilots. They're, they, uh, they listen, they adapt to it very well. They um, are able to process, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the maturity level of a 14-year-old female versus a 14-year-old male. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think it all evens out a little bit later in life. Yeah. But at that age, especially when you're really trying to uh, plant the seed of, of aviation in somebody. And I've flown with a lot of female air cadets that just, just are really great pilots and, and they are able to sort of, um, I think, take the training a little bit more seriously than, than a lot of the, the young men. Mm. Um, so I, I love it. I love encouraging um, young women to get into aviation. I know that has nothing to do with bio air, but... Um, you know, no, it's I, always something that I like. Well, I, just, I mean, it's just moving on, really. I mean, the the, the thing that the that you know that you've got these massive pilot shortages as I say it, it's not just in the UK or it's in the US I dare say can you know I, I dare say most countries are struggling to obtain pilots I mean perhaps what they do need to do then is a bit like what airline lingus have done with this this training program is make it more accessible make it so that people can afford to do it and then you know as long as you're you're qualifying and, and doing a good job I mean that's one way, surely, of solving solving the pilot shortage is to help them become pilots. Yeah, I, worth mentioning. I think um, on the topic of uh, scholarships, there's uh, 
Carl Valeri, who does a couple of podcasts, I think, Aviation Careers, and I think it's the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, but he uh, compiles every year a database of scholarships for aviation and aerospace, and they charge something like $10 for the guide, but you know, I, and I, that's, that's something that, that sometimes rubs me the wrong way, but it's not a whole lot of money for a lot of effort put into doing it. True. And it, I, I, if you go look, just look up aviation scholarship guide, it'll be the first or second response. And that there it's a guide that includes something like $50 million worth of scholarships collectively. And they update it annually. So for anyone who's seriously considering this and wanting to look into it, that's a really good resource for, for scholarships that are out there. Yeah, it's as I say, this this surely is the obvious solution to to the pilot shortage is get more people qualified, isn't it? And it's uh, the trouble is, I mean, I've got, I, I I know I, I mean, I've said before, I mean, one of my friends, uh, he, you know, was working really hard to get his commercial license, and the only reason that he never never sort of like lived his literal dream. I mean, this is a guy who's had posters on his wall of aeroplanes like since he was a a small boy. He was desperate to be a a pilot, and the only reason he's essentially not living his dream is because he basically ran out of money uh, and that's really sad because he is a talented he's i mean I, you know he's a, he's a talented ga pilot uh there's no two ways about about that and and it's uh it's not a thing i mean Stephen, obviously you've got uh, a, you know a lot of experience in in this uh matter too i mean that it must be a real you know it's, it's a serious decision you have to make if you like to to, to put that money together um, you know, to, to, to become a pilot. I mean, that can't have been an easy decision despite wanting to be a pilot. No, it's, it's not an easy decision to make. And, you know, there's a lot of information out there and sorting through that information to make an accurate decision on what's, what's the best path to move forward to get to that point of, you know, being an airline pilot or whatever you want to do. Mm. Um, so I would tell anybody, you know, if you go on the Internet, because, you know, everything on there is true. No, of course. Uh, just <laughs> that information you yeah, yeah, yeah. Just vet the information you get very carefully, you know. Um, there's forums online that also are, have wonderful information and some horrible information, too. But, you know, go out to, like, you know, um, EAA, talk to people out there, Silver Air Patrol, um, or just any pilot that's actually went through the process to get, you know, accurate, good information and suggestions because there's so many different routes you can go to go from zero to airline pilot. I mean, I I went from... Uh, doing Part 61 training out of my own pocket and then went and did aerial survey and then once I did that, went to the airlines and did the training there. But, I mean, there's so many different options you can go about in there. Also, there's kinds of scholarships out there, too, you can use to help you um, get your time in and everything as well. Yeah. Yeah, I know we're, we're a little bit off script here, Matt, but uh, I'll uh, piggyback on what Robert was saying with uh, Carl, uh, Carl Valeri's Aviation Careers podcast is probably one of the best mm. uh, podcasts out there for anybody that's trying to get into aviation. And just like we're talking about young uh, individuals getting into aviation, I love hearing the stories of the career changers. You know, people in their late 30s, early 40s, sometimes in their 50s that, uh, you know, just say, you know, I've always wanted to do it and I'm in a good place or maybe I'm not so much in a good place, but my spouse is willing to support me and I'm going to go do it. And I'm sure Steven is sitting there, you know, probably flying with, with, uh, fellow first officers that are well into their, um, fourth or fifth decade. Right. <laughs> yeah. So my airline, our, uh, I think our current oldest FO is around, uh, the 59 age range, but, uh, the record for the company is like, uh, he was, I think, 
they were 62 years old when we hired him. So he, we got three years of service out of him, and then he retired at 65. So wow. never too late to start. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you ever needed an advert? As you say, never too late to start. I, I don't know. That's a, that's a must be a difficult decision to make, though, for like uh, for, for for an airline as well, though, because you you know obviously there's tight ratings and stuff involved for for the 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 craft that he that he's going to fly. I mean, that must be quite a difficult decision for them to make as well, because you you're sort of investing in the the pilot, but essentially not for very long. You know, yeah, I, I hate that's to be kind a of the upside of the shortage is that you know they're they're willing to take people for short periods of time because it's at least a pilot and it's a flight that they can make. It's a yeah. butt in a seat. Yeah, well, yeah yes. and I hate to be a, a romantic, but a lot of times you do it because you love it. Yeah, and of course, you'll do a lot of things, right? You know. Well, yeah. no, that, that 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 is true. That is true. Right. Anyway, we really must uh, move on. I think uh, uh, I'm trying to work out. So it's Stephen. I think the next story is with you, please. Okay. Uh, let's see. I have a story from the Aviation Safety Network uh, regarding a Germania 737. Did they go out of business? I thought. Anyway, um, so this happened in uh, Tel Aviv, ah, Israel. On. Yeah, okay. You know, that's, that's, that's something. Yeah, that's not right. Sorry. This is not oh, going very okay. well at all, is it? We need to. Yeah. Yeah, that's an old story, isn't it? Sorry. That's a year, yeah, that's I got, a year I got, old. Yeah, yeah. The story is old. The, I think the final report just came out, is why it probably popped up in the news feed. Oh, I see. Uh, uh, ah. that, you're right. The investigation is published at the end of that. Ah, of, uh, okay. Oh, well, let me pull yeah, that up. <laughs> well, let's just read all the little okay. details. Um, yeah. Okay, so, in, so if you start... It's in Hebrew. <laughs> it, oh, is it? Actually, actually, it, I, I it is. All right, <laughs> we're out. Micah, where you're is, in. Where is Hillel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hang on a sec. Hang on. See, that's not... That's there, not... There, there is a, a picture in that report, though, with the uh, plane backed into the tail section of the... Seven six there it looked like so it why took that, out the uh, why is that come up? And... So I, I, I actually remember when this happened, and we we did talk about it on the show. Um, you know, it was I think it was a, a backup accident, but you must have been, they must have been backing up pretty fast because if you look at how far the the horizontal stab went into the rudder of the seven three, that's I mean it's in there about four <laughs> four or five feet. Wow. Well. well I, I can't, like I said, I don't read Hebrew, but no. these pictures here are telling me that, okay, so you had like one taxiway going this way, and then they both pushed back at the same time into each other from opposite gates. So I'm not sure how, like, the ground yeah. crews missed that, but that's what, that's it, what it looks like to me, too, is that maybe there was a, you know, a, a luggage train or something parked between, and they didn't couldn't see each other and weren't paying enough attention or I don't know, but it does look well, like they both were moving. The, yeah. What it says in the English narrative uh, is uh, that uh, the uh, two ground crew members were supposed to walk along the wingtip at the tail during the pushback, but they were in a tow truck contrary to procedures. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and on top of that, it was raining and there was a lot of bad right. reflection. And because the visibility was decreased, and I guess because of the rain, that's why they were in the tow truck. And yep. that's why it happened. That's the, the final result on the last two narrative paragraphs. Yeah. I, I think that sums it up quite nicely. Right. Okay. Well, we've covered <laughs> we've covered that. Yes. Yeah, so, so nobody's going to attempt reading the Hebrew then. What? What, what a shame. <laughs> All sixty-eight well, uh, pages of it. I'm pointing to... firmly at Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm out. I, I don't even have the Hebrew in front of me, quite right. frankly. 
everything I have is in English, so uh, <laughs> okay. I can't help you. Plus, if it's, it the, it's Hebrew, the PDF final it. report, but I don't. It's it would be an awful lot to demand you to read it in real time. Yeah, I, I think that's 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 very mean. Shall we move on then? Seeing as uh, well, let's see, do that. this is this is why I should never be left to, to do the show notes on my own. I even, as I say, even my director told me that it was in Hebrew, and I sort of like, oh, <laughs> so there we are, Robert. Can I trouble you to take the next story, please? You, you can indeed. The, uh, the headline here is the body of a stowaway man fell off the Kenya Airways Boeing 787 on final approach to Heathrow Airport. And let me just say that's the wrong headline. From the very beginning, that's the wrong headline. <laughs> it's, it's, the headline. Not, it's not a great headline. <laughs> the headline should have been bombs away. <laughs> so nice. the, uh, the text here is fairly short. It's a body fell off the undercarriage of a Kenya Airways flight from Nairobi minutes before landing at the Heathrow Airport on Sunday. The body of the unidentified male stowaway landed in a garden in the borough of Lambeth, South London. Body apparently fell off the Kenya Airways Boeing 787-8 flight number KQ100 from Nairobi to London. Upon inspection, Metropolitan Police found a bag containing some food and clothing at the left at the rear left landing gear. The aircraft has, however, been cleared for operation since it was inspected and no damage reported. The 6,840-kilometer flight takes 8 hours, 50 minutes. It is unfortunate that a person has lost his life by stowing aboard one of our aircraft, and we express our condolences, read the statement. Um, I guess my first takeaway from this is it doesn't happen real often, but it's certainly not the first time we've heard it. Um, and, I, you know, you, you do have to wonder what drives someone to, to camp out in the landing gear bay mm. of one of these aircraft and whether they think they're, they're going to be able to survive in general or a flight of that length in particular. But uh, now, I, I mean, obviously, pre- pre- it looks like happened here. Pres- presumably with an ordinary flight like uh, an ordinary flight like this. I mean, so if everything's running according to, 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 to plan, obviously, I mean, the, where he's he's hiding essentially in the landing gear. I mean, that isn't pressurized, is it? I mean, it's, so no. it's going to be ridiculously cold. So he probably froze to death uh, because of the lack of altitude and no oxygen and, you know, filtered, filtrated air, etc. Etc. Presumably unconscious. Mm-hmm. So essentially, I mean, I might be speaking out of turn here, but obviously, when the landing gear was then opened, he just literally fell out because he was unconscious. Well, exactly. Actually, and it's not necessarily true. Okay. Um, people have survived this. Um, yeah. Across Atlantic and whatever, and we don't know whether he was um, alive and the landing gear opened and he fell out and died in the crash, or if he uh, had died previously from the lack of oxygen and the cold. And, and uh, so we really don't know. That was one of the comments I was going to make. It, it could have gone either way. Mm. Uh, and either yeah, way, there certainly kind of- have been cases both ways. I, the, the, your, your points are all, I think, valid, Matt. It's just that once in a while someone gets very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I think it, it depends a lot on the specific flight route and what the weather's doing on that particular flight that day and how prepared they are and also really what out elevation the uh, the aircraft is operating at you know there's an awful lot of difference in survivability at 30,000 feet versus 40,000 feet and and you know mm. I, I don't certainly don't know whether these people know what altitude the flight's likely to be taking mm. place at you know let alone dealing with changes that may happen in routes so it's it's certainly a bit of a, a a pretty aggressive gamble to try it it is and in fact actually masha in in the chat room here she she's uh sort of saying uh occasionally these kind of stowaways do survive neil lamorne is saying you've got to wonder about the airport security and the thoroughness mm-hmm. of the walk around uh, which is a really good point actually because i mean well yeah you'd like to think you'd have a you know i don't know is, is there Many well, places I've to been hide. to the, I've been to the Nairobi airport, and it's let's just say it's a, a porous uh, <laughs> perimeter. Right, 
Okay. Yeah, and Masha makes another point, which is that the hypothermia can actually help somebody survive longer. And that, it's true if they, you know, the, it, the being chilled can, can let somebody survive a longer period of time with the hypoxia, but there's certainly a limit. And, and you know, and, and as we know, there are cases where this has happened. I can't identify one off the top of mm. my head, but it's, I, I can't imagine the, the chances, you know, very high. No, yeah, and I think the last one, I remember there was like a 17-year-old that, that survived, um, I think also from Africa, and he, uh, he survived, and, you know, the gear came down, and they sort of found him when the aircraft had landed, and he was wandering around a little dazed, but otherwise, mm. okay. Well, as Richard says in the chat room, Nick, I think, um, from the uh, Airline Pilot Guy show, has, has often commented that this, this was a fairly, not, maybe not regular, but fairly common occurrence at uh, Lagos. Mm. Yeah, he would talk about how in, in, uh, in Lagos, they, uh, a lot of the people would get onto the runway and try to open the uh, cargo holds to get inside and steal luggage as the plane That's was off. Um, but uh, th there was another uh, newspaper story that we didn't have time for from this, uh, about this article mm. that was written from a different perspective that was very interesting. And that was the, uh, the people in the surrounding area and the garden which this man fell into and how they took it and, and what they saw and how they expected yeah. it having been, uh, uh, been victims in some cases of, uh, of this person falling into their life. I mean, exactly. it, it certainly certainly would take you by surprise if you were. I mean, it's unusual to be outside in the UK full stop, especially sunbathing. Uh, so, I mean, it's, to have essentially a body fall out of the sky and land ten feet away from you is uh, is uh, not something you would certainly expect. I would say it's worse than blue ice. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I well imagine made. that guy may not spend much time in his garden anymore. No, no, I think possibly uh, scarred for life, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I don't recall, I, you know, it's not as common. You sort of, I don't know, I suppose it's not a com common occurrence in, in the main, I guess, uh, in, in regards. Uh, although, obviously, you were saying, Nick, Nick's saying it's quite common at Lagos. Um, but... Um, yeah. I, th I think we may be overstating to say that it's quite common, but mm. I, it's certainly not unheard of is maybe right. a better way yeah. to put it. It has happened before, and, and it has happened before from a number of locations. It sounds like often in Africa. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no fair point. Uh, anyway, we really should move on to the next story. The next one uh, is with you, please, Armando. From Simple, uh, Simple Flying, Flyby have responded to the widespread criticism over their handling of an incident at Amsterdam Schiphol Airport last weekend. The incident in which a group of women were denied boarding has seen Fly be accused of racist conduct. However, the airline says the reports were skewed and deny any wrongdoing in their actions. A group of young women were heading back to the UK on their 1830 scheduled flight when an argument within, uh, with the gate agent saw them denied boarding. Following a series of viral tweets from their friend in the UK, the story has been hitting the headlines with accusations of racial profiling by Flybe. However, the Exeter-based carrier, who has recently been bought by a consortium led by Virgin Atlantic, says the videos were taken, taken out of context. They say that at no point was the gate agent's conduct intended to personally insult any passenger. So the details of the exact turn of events are sketchy. However, it appears that Flybe's... Uh, BE110 flight from Amsterdam to Birmingham was delayed in leaving the Netherlands. Operated a, by a de Havilland-8 Q400, the flight was scheduled to leave at 18.30 on Sunday, 30th of June. For some reason, a argument broke out at the gate involving a group of girls aged 19 to 20 years old. 
Whether this has to do with the delay is unclear, but as a result, some or all of the group were told that they could not board the airplane. One of the party videoed an exchange with the gate agent. This was then shared by their friend back in the UK uh, with almost, she has almost 10,000 followers. As a result, the video and situation quickly went viral. Shortly after the, the recording was made, the security were called to deal with the girls. The agent at this, at this time said she felt threatened and security advised the passengers that they were not allowed to talk with them anymore. Um, there is a series of Twitter videos that were shared. Uh, the agent felt disgusted. Um, the agent said that she didn't feel threatened at all. In fact, she just felt disgusted, according to her own words. Let's see. Uh, the girls and the person who shared the video claimed that this was evidence of racial profiling and that the lady was trying to say that the girls disgusted her. However, Flyby says this was all taken out of context and that the gate agent was trying to say their, be their behavior disgusted her. Nothing to do with race at all. The girls were indeed refused boarding on the flight and allegedly spent the night in the airport. As far as Simple Flying knows, they have now returned to the UK safely. The flight went on, took off and landed uh, Birmingham at uh, 8.08 local time. Um, let's see. So, I, you know, I watched some of the videos. It's, uh, I'm certainly not going to take sides. I wasn't there, but it, it looks like one of these situations that I've witnessed so many times when I w was working the ramp for uh, Atlantic Coast Airlines, which is now defunct. Um, and I think anytime people are traveling and there's delays, whether weather, mechanical, airline, w whatever it may be, tempers ter tend to flare on both sides, uh, both on the passengers and, and, it, and, you know, I've seen gate agents uh, be berated and, and yelled at. And then at the same time, I've, I've seen gate agents with short tempers um, that maybe react um, inappropriately to, mm. to a situation with a, with a passenger or, or a customer. So, uh, you know, I've been in this situation, Stephen, I'm sure you've seen them too, or uh, it, it, things like this can quickly escalate. Um, and it's really difficult for me to tell from a series of, of 40 second Twitter videos, what is actually happening here. But uh, I just well, hope it gets resolved and, and go uh, ahead. And of course, well, you sort of, you know, I, I'm sort of slightly suspicious of the fact that obviously these people are the ones that have posted this online. It could well have been edited towards their own their own opinion, for want of a better word, I guess. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, some of the exchanges may well be missing because obviously this is something that they're they're tweeting essentially for their own benefit, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people do use social media when you are not perhaps not getting the response from the airline that you wanted. You quite often use social media as a way of um, sort of getting your point across, if you like, or getting someone else to get involved and perhaps have a more satisfactory outcome. So, you know... I I don't know. Yeah, and and as soon as security gets involved, whether it's law enforcement or private security, mm. the situations usually tend to escalate. I, I guess no, I'll I'll take that back. I, I don't know that for sure, but I can see when security does get involved, 
um, a situation escalating. Um, I think it's you know, probably it's, fair to say that people often choose to escalate when security arrives. It may not be in every case, but you tend to see the ones when it is. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah, this is true. And actually, it's probably worth just, just mentioning, obviously, Flybee's take, uh, simplifying, reached out to Flybee to understand their take on the situation. They responded with a statement and said that they are not in a position to comment on the situation any further. We would like to confirm that Flybee has concluded an investigation into the incident at the departure gate in Amsterdam on Sunday the 30th of June 2019 and stands by its decision in having refused boarding to the passengers involved because of the disruptive behaviour. And it can also confirm our customer relations team have been in contact Contact with a family member and some of the passengers involved following the receipt of reports and verbal confirmation from all relevant parties including the National Police Agency whose officers were called to intervene we can report the following findings against the specific allegations made at no stage were any passports seized or confiscated and at no stage did Flybee nor the Dutch police remain in possession of any such personal documentation Flybee's third-party ground services agents did feel threatened by the aggressive behaviour and language used towards them by this group of passengers, uh, that the snippets of video footage posted by the passengers served to misinterpret the full conversation relating to the word disgusted, which was used by one of the Dutch-speaking gate agents when referring to the fact that she was disgusted by their behaviour and aggressive attitude. There was no intention for this to be communicated or received as a personal insult to any of the passengers involved. Uh, Flybee has taken this uh, allegation extremely seriously and investigated as a matter of urgency. We expect all our customers uh, at all times to be treated with respect and courtesy by our staff, which is, includes our third-party agents. If at any time we feel that this has been compromised, then we do not hesitate to take the necessary steps to rectify it. So, yeah, so that's that's uh, just, to, just to put things in balance, essentially, that was uh, Flybee's statement on, on, on said issue. And the fact is that people, airlines... Um, deal with behaviors and sometimes behaviors can be cultural but nonetheless there's a time and a place for certain behaviors and if certain behaviors are inappropriate uh, and people feel that they are appropriate based on uh, their own uh, background or whatever uh, they will take to Twitter or whatever to defend themselves even if they're wrong based on the situation uh, in which they're in and that's mm. the time and a place and uh, so I have rarely ever seen an airline agent uh, of any sort uh, mm. do anything inappropriate based on the needs of the airline and the requirements for boarding and the, uh, the perhaps even the uh, we don't know the nature of how uh, if they were under the influence of any kind of, no. uh, of substance whether it's alcohol or whatever which no. can often lead to different behaviors and inappropriate behaviors that mm. in other situations might have been perfectly normal. Indeed. Micah actually while you're in the chair let's take uh, up the next story please. Okay, and that was that the recorder was found uh, in a Texas plane crash, and some of the victims were identified. And federal investigators said Monday that they started analyzing the cockpit voice recorder from a small plane crash at the hangar after taking off from a suburban Dallas airport. Local officials released the names of the six of the ten people killed in the fiery crash. Now, this aircraft, uh, because they don't say it in this story, it was a uh, Beechcraft Super King Air twin-engine turboprop aircraft. And uh, it, it doesn't really tell this part of the story, but it, it was a fiery crash um, it, on takeoff, crashed into a hangar, uh, destroyed the aircraft in flames, destroyed the hangar in flames. But there is a cockpit voice recorder in this aircraft. There is no need uh, in this particular model aircraft for there to be a... Um, um, 
Flight data recorder. Flight data recorder. But they did find the cockpit voice recorder, and they found that there was considerable confusion uh, when uh, the uh, pilot was taking off in terms of the, the issues that were going on. Uh, the twin engine plane's tail number, N51EF, was registered in April. Uh, the FAA spokesman, uh, Lynn Ludford, said Monday the FAA registry confirmed that the plane was registered to EE operations. The pilots used the plane's previous tail number in radio communications for the flight, and that confused quite a number of things going on in terms of the communication. Uh, it looked like that there was clearly reduced power. They didn't know if it was on purpose uh, or not, but uh, then the plane started to veer to the left. You couldn't tell. Uh, you could tell uh, it couldn't climb. And uh, the friends looked at each other. People who were witnesses looked at each other and said, oh, my God, they're going to crash. And they did. Uh, and that's basically the story. But we should have more information from the cockpit voice recorder. It's unusual uh, to have any problem. These aircraft have been flying for years, and they have uh, they run twin PT-6 uh, turboprop engines. Very, very reliable. And we'll see uh, how it goes from there. Mm. Yeah, they have a bit of a reputation as a real workhorse. I mean, I've, I've heard people refer many times to these as the flying SUV. You know, if it fits, it flies. They're, they're pretty capable aircraft. And quite popular for a, for a good reason, but um, obviously something went wrong here. Yeah, indeed. This, this, this is very true. Uh, okay, on to the next story then, and uh, Stephen, this is with you, please. Yes, on uh, the Bloomberg uh, website here. Electric jet market a buzz over possible bigger, faster Gulf Stream. Uh, the Gulfstream 600 has one U.S. certification interest service, Jerome Dynamics said in a statement Friday. The luxury jet is its development announced with the G500 in 2014. Can seat up as many as 16 passengers and fly New York to Tokyo. The smaller 500 begins deliveries in September. But the new aircraft are the lifeblood of the private plane business, often spurring owners to trade in new models. And speculation is already mounting about what's next. Bombardier's Global 7500 began deliveries in December, ending the six-year reign as the Gulfstream 650 as the biggest, longest range, and some would say the most coveted corporate jet industry. Industries are betting that Gulfstream is already working on a rival. Gulfstream announced this year to remove any whether that they're going to move up in the top position, said Rock. Ronald Vincent, a consultant in Plano, Texas, who produces JetNet IQ in conjunction with a researcher, NetJet. The aircraft is expected to just is expected to fly just a little faster, a little further, and a little bigger. Deliveries on the G600 are set to begin amid strong U.S. demand for business aircraft, spurred by corporate tax cut and Gulfstream President Mark Burns uh, said the U.S. The U.S. is the largest market with about 60% of the world's private jet fleet. Sales in China have stalled because of the trade dispute with the U.S. while Mideast conflicts have throttled demand in that region, he said. Um, so the G600, that's the new one. Um, if anyone's interested, uh, they list at 60, or excuse me, 46.5 for the G500 and uh, 57.9 for the G600. Yeah, but nobody was, nobody plays the list price. Come on. No, no one no one pays the list price. Um, well, so, I've got a friend that works for General Dynamics, which, which owns Gulfstream, so I might be able to help you out. A oh, brilliant. Oh, Lovely. A discount. <laughs> discount would help with that price. Um, yeah. Free lunch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. Uh, 
some more specs on the aircraft itself. It's got a range of 6,500 nautical miles. Uh, it can sleep up to nine, and it has a max operating speed of Mach 0.92. Maximum takeoff weight is 94.6, and it cruises at 51,000 feet. Um, typical cruise is Mach 0.85 at a range of 6,500 miles if you're going long range. But, uh, yeah, um, I was actually down in Savannah the other day working, and I saw we got taxied by the Gulfstream factory, and they uh, had a lot of nice business jets sitting out of there. Um, I know Gulfstream's kind of like the Cadillac of business jets. They're um, quite huge and very uh, comfortable to travel in, um, and they are uh, got a pretty advanced flight deck, too, as far as uh, business jets go. Uh, good news uh, from uh, Neil Lanwarn. He says he's getting uh, my... He says, I'm getting mine next week. Just got to pick the color, apparently. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> How nice. Absolutely. Yeah, just for reference, I was also looking at the Gulfstream website, and for the G650ER, that is basically from London to every continent except for Australia. Uh, Right. Uh, Okay. So you you can make it, you know, with no issue all the way down to Buenos Aires or Cape Town or Tokyo or San Francisco from London with with range to, to spare, which is pretty impressive. Absolutely. Okay, on to the next story then. Uh, Robert, please, that is with you. Right, I believe this is, according to Flight Global, SpiceJet 737 suffers runway excursion in rainy Mumbai. Um, Another SpiceJet aircraft suffered a runway excursion, the second such incident in two days. On 1 July in the evening, one of airlines... One of the airlines, Boeing 737-800s, overran the runway at Mumbai. I'm not going to try to pronounce that name of the airport after oh, landing in heavy rain. You're just rain. no fun. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm brave, uh, but I, I'm not doing that. I will be guaranteed to get it wrong. Um, the aircraft was operating flight uh, Sierra Golf 6237 from Jaipur. Uh, SpiceJet said there was no injury to the passengers or crew and that everyone was evacuated normally. As a result of the incident, the airport's main runway, the 3,660-meter-long 09 and 27, had to be shut off. The airport operator tweeted that operations to restore service on the runway could take up to 48 hours, uh, and they have a second runway, which is um, looks like about a quarter less length, about 3,000 meters. Um, there's a couple pictures here. It, it looks like they had quite an excursion. They've certainly uh, done some. The nose gears collapsed for sure, and it's quite a quite a hard landing. It looks like. Yeah, absolutely. We're just looking at those pictures now. It's. Um, I think they have actually moved it off the runway now. I think Carlos sent me this story. Uh, uh, was it Carlos or Micah? Anyway, one one of you guys sort of sent. They they have actually moved it uh, off the runway now. But I mean, if you look at the the, the, the pictures that we've got up on on the YouTube feed at the moment, uh, the bottom left picture there. I mean, that's made quite a mess of um, of the runway there, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, there's a comment in here that it went through some mud before, and I, I wonder if that may be what they're referring to. Oh, that may be more like a gravel on mud than really runway surface, right, but yeah. I, I'm not sure. I, it, it's awful hard to tell, but uh, they may just be saying it went through the mud because it created ruts that are muddy now. I, yeah, you know, possibly. Sure. possibly. He, he definitely it, um, short, shorted himself there with the runway. I mean, he barely um, – I don't know if – Oh, you're right. Was, it looks like they didn't make the the – yeah, I think they're right at the end. Yeah, and those are, approach those the, yeah, those are the uh, end lights right there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so it looks like they landed some distance before the threshold. Yes. Oops. 
There's a note here also that the, the oxygen mask, some, some pictures showed oxygen masks having been deployed um, and that there's not a confirmation of that yet at the time of publishing. And then they note that uh, on the 30th of June, which I guess is just the day before, hmm. um, a, da a Dash 8 Q400 from the same airline uh, suffered a runway excursion at a different airport in India, also with no injuries reported. Yeah, That's uh, a bad is it, couple is it, of days for SpiceJet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is it is it possible that said uh, oxygen mask could have perhaps um, sort of come out of the ceiling with the rough landing? I mean, it's you know, I mean, is it possible they yeah, just drop? Yeah. Sure, if you land hard enough, the uh, the oxygen mask can kind of yeah, fall out. Yeah, exactly. So there might well have been oxygen mask down, but it was just because he hit the tarmac too damn hard, basically. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me that this is being termed a runway excursion. I suppose technically it is, but that to me that implies that they landed on the runway and then left it, and that doesn't look like what happened here. It, this looks like a, you know they landed prior to the runway threshold. Yeah, yeah, something's definitely not right there. But I, I you know, more details will no doubt be available when the uh, when the details are released. I suppose when the when the investigation is completed. Uh, so on to the next story, uh, Armando. This one is with you. This is uh, sort of breaking news. I think from um, was it last night or this morning? I think it was last night, wasn't it, Micah? I th um, uh, last night. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, now that I'm on the same page as everybody else, about 75% of the way through the show uh, from the BBC, a uh, plane was traveling from New York to London on Thursday night when the fire, a fire aboard started, forcing the crew to divert to flights. Uh, this was a Virgin Atlantic flight. Um, no major injuries were reported, and all 217 passengers were safely evacuated uh, from the aircraft at Boston's Logan International Airport. Police believe a mobile phone power bank may have caused the fire. Bomb disposal officers inspected the aircraft after it landed and found a device between the cushions of the seat where the blaze started. Preliminary investigation suggests it is a battery pack consistent in appearance with an external phone charger, a police spokeswoman told reporters. That was disputed by one passenger, Maria, who told the BBC she had been speaking to her friend when his seat caught fire. Uh, the, she rejected reports that a phone charger had been the cause. It took about two minutes to put it out. While no one suffered major injuries, one passenger refused treatment for a smoke-related complaint. Virgin Atlantic confirmed in a statement that the flight had been diverted to Boston due to reports of smoke in the cabin. Our crew responded immediately and the plane has landed safely, said the airline added that it was investigating the incident to fully understand the circumstances. An American Airlines flight also made an emergency landing at the airport earlier on Thursday after a cockpit light indicated an unspecified potential mechanical problem as it approached Boston, completely unrelated to the first story. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And for those you know, that aren't familiar, the plane took off from JFK. It landed in Boston, and many of you may not be familiar with the geography, but that's less than 200 miles. That's just a short hop. So that's about 10 happened. minutes, right? That's about it, yeah. Yeah, to me, it sounds like exactly when they hit that 10,000-foot mark, someone put their seat back, broke a device, and they started coming right back down. Mm. Well, I know a, a few airlines have started briefing that, too, in their safety brief, that if there is a device that gets caught in between uh, the seat cushions to not mess with it and call a mm. uh, cabin attendant. Uh, yeah, so that, I've seen that on a couple of flights, but that's 
right up there with don't take your luggage out of the plane, I'm afraid. I think people just ignore it. Yeah. And what uh, a, a pilot I know who has worked flights similarly has said is that uh, this typically happens in the uh, in the first or business class cabin, and they're briefed not to take the uh, the phone out of the seat and not do anything but call a flight attendant. But the first class and business class passengers know much better than than, than a young, attractive uh, female flight attendant, so they just do whatever they want to do. That's exactly what this this pilot said. Indeed. I, I should also just, just say, it's just been pointed out to me actually that the video that I played, if you're watching the YouTube video, was not actually from that incident. It's apparently from uh, a previous incident. Uh, so apologies for the confusion there. That was not my intention <laughs> to play the wrong video clip, but the pictures were from, from said incident. It's okay. It generated good discussion. Yeah, well, this is true. <laughs> this is true. I, I, as I say, this this is the, as you, I'm, I'm I'm sure they they are doing that now, aren't they? Where they where they are literally briefing you like what to do if you lose your phone. Basically, don't move the seat and call someone. Right, and and Owen says it happens ridiculously often, and they uh, they they often have to take phones out from between the seats. Mm. I know. I think we were talking to Al about this too a couple months ago. Where now there's a uh, a sleeve basically that a lot of airlines are buying. That you can put um, a lithium battery or, or a, it's basically a laptop sized um, fireproof thing that that uh, you can throw anything that's sparking arcing whatever into this thing and then and then it should put itself out and Nick had talked about that previously as at least a means of addressing the problem when it happens yeah of course somebody's got to grab that thing right <laughs> from the ground it's, it's a bit of a it's, a it's quite a process to throw it in the bag but I guess you can at least contain it Owen says they're called fire socks. Fire socks? Oh, that's a cool name. <laughs> Does the I'm job. wearing fire socks. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> so many that's jokes. That's a great name. Yeah, I do. I like that. It's, it's a great idea. It's, it's, it's a good idea, I suppose, though. I mean, are you supposed to leave it in there, though, rather than, uh, you know, it sort of makes it a bit difficult to use, I suppose, if it's in, in, in the bag. I suppose it prevents yeah, them from. And I think as maybe Owen can tell us. I think you're supposed to put the uh, the device in the bag and actually fill the bag with water and uh, oh. cool it off. Yeah, that would I would imagine that would be as a heat sink. Uh, yes, yeah. heat sink. Uh, okay. Function. Although I I'm not sure how wise it is to fill the bag with water if it's got a got a battery you know, a charged electrical device. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not I'm not sure that's great. I suppose actually in the case of you know I'm thinking about that actually it's probably not as a heat sink because the the reaction that happens with the lithium polymer uh, batteries in particular is an oxygen-driven reaction, and I suspect if you bury it in water, you may stop the reaction and stop the ther thermal runaway and the resulting fire. So that ah. may actually be the point of that. Ah, good point. Yeah, hadn't thought of that. Uh, Micah, we'll move on then to the next story, please. All right. Well, the, this is the Aviation Herald story, if I remember correctly, and an accident on the United States. No, we did this already, didn't we? Uh, should be uh, Jet Airways. Uh, should be airline. There we go. Yeah. Airline Found it right yeah. here. Jet Airways employees attempt to buy the airline. Hey, you don't like who you're working for? Just buy them. Just out. buy them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the dust really hasn't settled for Jet Airways. A former carrier spent considerable portion of the past few years in 
death throes until it was finally grounded this past April. The airline was doing nothing but burning cash at an alarming rate concerning investors such as Etihad and various Indian banks. There was no money to pay outstanding loans or employees, many of which had gone without paychecks for months. Lenders had enough of the failing airline, and after it was grounded, a request for bids was put out for interested parties to acquire anywhere between 33 and 75 percent of the airline. How much money do you guys have on you? This sounds like some... <laughs> It's, it's an investment opportunity, right? Yeah. Well, it yeah. sounds like we need to talk to Neil if he's getting his uh, Gulfstream next <laughs> week. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he can add that uh, to the fleet, can't he? <laughs> and it can be the, uh, the Podcasts United airline. Ooh. Oh, that sounds great. Actually, that, I mean, and that would be a fabulous airline, let's be honest, because we all know. It really some, would be wonderful. Yeah, we know some excellent pilots. We know some incredible cabin crew between us all. It would literally be the best airline in the in the. I'm going to do a Jeremy Clarkson now. The best <laughs> airline in the world. I think you need more of a pause in there. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it goes on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip part of the article. It says the airline has already been cannibalized, and in oh. reality seems odd that there are still attempts to revive the airline even if the airline were to set to fly again it isn't really clear if these alleged 10,000 remaining employees are even available to start working again. Everyone else has already left in masses to other airlines. In addition, Jet Airways only has around 15 planes left in its fleet that it actually owns. The other 100 plus planes were all leased and the majority of those planes have already been repossessed by the lessers and are already flying for other airlines in India. More importantly, Many of Jet Airways' 440-plus slots at Mumbai and Delhi airports have already been doled out to other Indian airlines. SpiceJet has won 43% of the slots, although they can't seem to land the airplane at any of the airports. <laughs> other domestic airlines were less than successful in their quest for the slots, but uh, Indigo, GoStar, Vistara, and uh, AirAsia India have received a total of 32% combined. So while some of the uh, some uh, while there is some expectation that the slots would be returned to Jet Airways once the airlines return to the skies, it doesn't seem realistic. Uh, these other airlines have already ramped up capacity, have filled the gaps Jet Airways has left behind, and it's hard to picture the other Indian carriers willingly giving up the slots they've revived. That so is a good point. Jet well, Airways has lost over half its employees. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I, I guess this is an attempt by them to essentially um, sort of save the airline. I guess, isn't it? I suppose the, what what little staff are left, perhaps they're just sort of fearing for their own jobs, which you can't blame them for. Um, you know, it's it, it is. What no, it is. I what? suppose if they think it was that badly mismanaged, perhaps if they think they could do better they even could. with what's left. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, one of the. I'm just going to pop the uh, the actual web page up, which I don't normally do. As I say, I normally just put the pictures up. Um, but uh, I think it's worth noting there that uh, the person who took the photograph that appeared in that article, which I popped up. Uh, and, uh, regular oh, viewers good point. will very much know the name on the bottom of that picture. There, a certain a Fabian. <laughs> Friend of the show. Yeah, very much so. He said, well done, Fabian. He's got his, he's got his picture in, in the uh, news article. That's very cool. Yay. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good picture as well. Really good picture. Anyway, I thought that would, I thought, just thought it was worth mentioning. <laughs> uh, okay, right. On to the next story. Uh, uh, wait, there, this is breaking news. This is actually very important. Uh-oh, brace yourself. Yes, that uh, Myla, Pilot Pip, and Jenny from Rome have shown up in the chat room. Ooh, this is very exciting. They're, they're, well, Pip's probably just here to gloat at how badly I'm doing. But anyway, there we go. The next story, please. Actually, Steve. I think he's mostly here to comment on the instruments sitting behind me on the video feed. Oh, well, yes, there, there will be that. Yes, <laughs> more about those later. Uh, Stephen, the next story is with you, please. Yes, sir. 
Uh, so this is from HMG Aerospace. Airs Airbus delivers first in flight humidification equipped A350 to China Southern Airlines. China Southern Airlines became the first airline to take delivery of the A350 equipped with the optional in-flight humidification system for its, for, for its business class cabin. The IAFH system restores relative humidity to comfort levels of 20 to 23% and generates an outstanding cabin climate compared to a standard equipped business cabin that is more dehydrating than any other place on earth. In order to improve the climate and optimize performance, Airbus has designed the A350XWB with an optional in-flight humidification system to be fitted in the first class business class cabin. China Southern's passengers will benefit from the significant increase in humidity with a reduction of dry air-related problems, fatigue, dry eyes, dry skin, and spread of virus diseases. All right, well, um, so I guess Airbus designed a humidification system for the 350, uh, apparently only for the uh, first and business class cabin. And I'm, I'm kind of confused on how um, you only put that for two sections of the airplane when the whole air conditioning system covers the entire cabin, unless they've sectioned off each section with a door and everything, which I doubt just seems kind of odd to me. Um, yeah. I had a couple of questions about uh, this particular story because I thought the Cheers. A350 was composite like the 787, and the 787 is known to have a, uh, a higher cabin pressure, uh, like you're flying at a lower altitude, and higher humidity. And I thought the A350 did that already, so I can't. Well, I'm, I'm a little taken on this too in that they're, they're referring to a comfort level of 20 to 23% humidity, and I, this is... Most people here probably don't know this, but I did a short stint right out of college in environmental consulting, and that's about half of the recommended level here in the States for any like standard human occupancy. That The goal is 40 to 60%. So it, if they're humidifying to 20 to 23, I'm wondering what the normal level is because that's awfully low still. Yeah, and, and then not only that, um, I mean, I, I flew on the A350 coming back from um, – where was I coming back? Coming back from seeing Matt and them in February, mm. and – took the A350 back. I mean, it, there was a difference. I mean, my skin wasn't as dry and I was a lot more comfortable, but I mean, I, I other than that, I didn't really notice a huge difference. Um, well, and presumably that airplane didn't have this system in it yet. So well, Owen says it's normally five to 12%. Jeff says six. Okay. So 20 to 23 is an awfully substantial improvement then. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, Maybe just because I, I live in humidity all the time, it, it doesn't really, I don't notice it that much. But um, I know when we're operating down here in the south on the uh, CRJ, we have the uh, fog effect go on because the humidity is so high. There's just so much condensation. I'm just thinking it, if you get to that point with this, with that carbon fiber, what does the water do to the frame and everything in the skin True. of the airport? Well, I suspect that's part of why they can do it here is that it, carbon fiber is not particularly susceptible to water corrosion, uh, you know, unlike the aluminum and the steel alloys and stuff that's used in other places. It's certainly less um, less likely to be damaged by humidity. And, and I, you know, I mean, as you say, the humidity outside is pretty high. I, you know, they can tolerate that nearly 100% humidity and, in fact, rain on the outside of the airplane. That They certainly should be able to tolerate 20% internally, I would imagine. 
Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what. If they ever if they ever invented a system like this that could go in that could be retrofitted to my coach, I would be eternally grateful. I'm not going to lie. Especially with, <laughs> and with, so would your passengers. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. We're not used to I having. Go on. Uh, I just hope this article doesn't get around too much because now everybody in you know uh, the coach cabin is now subjected to fatigue, red eyes, dry skin, and the spread of virus diseases. <laughs> yes, it's all being concentrated in that one area now. It's not just being shared with everyone. Better ticket prices then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're not going to do that. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> uh, attention, attention, ladies and gentlemen. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Captain Jeff has entered the chat room. Oh, no. Captain Jeff has entered the chat room. I'm very scared. I'm very scared. I was hoping he, I was hoping he was going to miss this one out. <laughs> Oh dear, anyway, anyway, right, uh, next story then, please, uh, the last one in the commercial section, that is with you, please, Robert. No problem. Air India won't have enough funds to pay employee salaries beyond October, uh, says a report from ET. I'm not sure who ET is. I imagine it's further down here. Uh, this article is coming from The News Minute, which is a site I'm not familiar with, but it says... Debt-ridden national carrier Air India is still to be out of the woods. The information emerging now is that it may not be in a position to make salary payments even to its employees come October of this year. Even otherwise, there have been delays in releasing employee salaries. The airline takes 10 days or more after the due date to pay the monthly emoluments to its staff. The average payment or payout on account of salaries is around 300 rupees, um, which I don't know what that translates to really, but um, besides salaries, there are debt repayments too that the airline has to meet. And even here, the information is the company may not be able may not be able to make these payments after October. Meanwhile, the government is keen on liquidating its entire 100% stake in the carrier if there is a suitor. That suitor has been very difficult to find, despite making several attempts. The NDA government during the previous five five year term has offered the airline a lifeline by providing a sovereign guarantee to the extent of 7,000 rupees crore. Um, when last reported, the airline is in possession of 2,500 crore out of, of that amount. This is what is being projected to last till October. Uh, operating an airline means having to shell out huge funds on a daily basis on uh, heads like fuel suppliers and catering companies and so on, besides the fixed monthly outgoes, including statutory dues like salaries. Um, I'm not going to read all the specific details here, but it sounds like a short, long and short version, whether I can't translate the numbers, is uh, that Air India is facing yet another problem where they are likely to run out of money in the next few months and no longer be able to operate. And one rupee is equal to 1.5 cents. Oh, wow. Gosh. Yeah. It's not good, is yeah. it? Is, I, mean, is, I think, uh, yeah, anytime that an air, you, know, you start reading articles about an air, airline paying credit cards with credit cards and having to move funds around to just pay their salaries. I, I think it's, uh, you know, usually in its final. Uh, uh, okay. The, that unit that I kept reading one crore is 10 million. Oh, so that is, you know, if it is saying 2,500 crore rupees, it is $250 million approximately. Can I ask a serious question about this, though? And this is something really to consider. What's going on with the uh, Indian commercial aviation uh, system? Uh, Jet Airways is in trouble, gone, uh, sold out. Air India has been failing for years. Uh, SpiceJet has had two runway incursions in the past two years. These are three Indian airlines. Does it... I'm, I don't know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not inferring anything. I'm questioning, does it have anything to do with uh, the commercial aviation industry in India. Yeah, I don't know either, because you, you would think it would be booming like everywhere else right now. Yeah. You know, I know 
China is one of the largest growing or fastest growing uh, commercial industries. But uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know either, Micah. And the cynical among us might say that most of the funds for the uh, domestic Indian airlines have been funneled into F1, but that's a side story a lot of people probably won't follow. Um, <laughs> Maybe slightly controversially. Jeff, clarif yeah, yeah, Jeff yeah. clarifies on the previous note that actually corrosion is a problem with humidity higher than something maybe up to about 12% if you have a non-plastic fuselage. Ah, good point. So that's a very good reason for that not to be in place on the, uh, the aluminum and steel aircraft. <laughs> yeah. We'll be right back after these short messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. TheVoicesInYourHead.com The Plane Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal? Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pays us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash plaintalkinguk on twitter via at plaintalkinguk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. flyby 5823 trent dane for 23rm manchester with air 6x client flight level 210 direct to Brooklyn's park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. So we came up with the idea of having a video course. Obviously ours are, are better because we've got the experience on the aircraft and we know what we need to be looking at. Something that myself and Andy started initially really to improve our own technical knowledge and put something out there. We saw that there was a gap and this wasn't a media that was being used for this purpose and our hunch was right because there's obviously a market for it. ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed base Boeing 737-800 Flight Simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check Check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. And 
and we're back. So, uh, yeah, we're uh, rapidly running out of time here, frankly. Uh, so what we need to do, if that's all right with everyone, we're going to bash straight on with the military. Is everyone ready? Absolutely. Excellent. Ready to go. Excellent. Roger. Here we, here we go, then. So this uh, first story is from our favorite website, Flight Global. Really? It's, it's, all, uh, it's all in the font. <laughs> it is all in the font. And it says that Bell may shun conventional helicopter for a clean sheet design. Bell's next, uh, next clean sheet development is unlikely to be a conventional helicopter, according to the chief executive, Mitch Snyder, who instead sees a greater benefit in tilt rotor, and urban air mobility designs. Although Snyder acknowledges that the conventional helicopter is not going away, Bell is more likely to apply incremental upgrades to his, its existing products than a design, uh, than design a new helicopter from scratch. Uh, Snyder, speaking at the Paris Air Show, sees this as a continuation of a strategy that has been used on several long-running Bell models that have received avionics or engine upgrades uh, to stay up to date. But Snyder argues that research into areas such as autonomous flight, vital for Bell's vision in the UAM sector, can enhance helicopters in the current range. It's it is technology that can spin into upgrades of existing platforms. That will drive incremental improvements on the legacy fleet, as he calls it. But clean sheets are more in the areas of on-demand mobility and future vertical lift. However, he acknowledges that modernization can only do so uh, can only do so much to certain designs that have been around in one form or another since the 1960s, as we've seen in the news recently. Uh, notably, Bell has yet to decide on its strategy to replace the 412, a helicopter that was first produced in 1981, and is based on the even older 212. But uh, it is currently built to the EPI standard and features twin Pratt & Whitney PT-6 engines and a digital flight deck. Although uh, Snyder says it has some ideas on the future of the 412, uh, of which some are clean sheet and some are not, has not yet decided which to advance. Uh, noting the ongoing effort to uh, certificate the fly-by-wire 525 relentless super medium twin, Snyder says that once it is achieved, it opens up the window to say what's next. Uh, Snyder still sees the future of potential uh, civil tilt rotor, although he believes the selection of a rotorcraft with that architecture by the U.S. military is necessary to bring the cost per unit down. Um, let's see, it goes on to talk about uh, Bell and its partner Subaru. They recently announced a commitment for an undisclosed quantity of uh, 412 EPX helicopters from Japan's National Police. Um, yeah, so they're still getting orders for some of these traditional helicopters. But, uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, we've seen in the recent air shows and some of the aviation expos that uh, this uh, small, you know, vertical lift, small capacity uh, sector is probably going to grow in the near future as well as the uh, the vertical lift, the, the larger scale vertical lift like the Osprey and the um, – Oh gosh, it's not the Valor. It's the um, 
it's a Boeing's tilt rotor, the V280, um, whatever they're calling it. Um, yeah, so good for Bell. Uh, let's see what they come up with. Yeah, no, an interesting product, as you say, and it's, I suppose, you know, it's the inevitable, isn't it? You do have to essentially, it's, it's sort of like an update on the existing um, craft, isn't it? But it, I suppose, it, you know, you've, you've got to move the times. Yeah, it, it, you know, it, you will always maximize um, the profit out of the infrastructure that you already have, especially in a factory to, to come up with a, um, you know, a production line for a completely new airframe is always very expensive. Mm. So uh, I think that, that Bell and Textron and those companies will continue to produce some of these helicopters. But, but yeah, in order to stay in the, uh, in the game per se, you, you got to start looking to some of these future technologies. Mm. Uh, and it is the V280 Valor. I did get that right. Indeed, but well done. <laughs> well done. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when you start looking at this, all the companies that have been around for a while have to get into the t the you know the different designs, the tilt rotor designs, and I think we're going to see a lot more of the, the quadcopters or multi multi rotor copters as well. I mean, even Mike and I were talking with someone a couple of weeks ago from the what formerly the American Helicopter Society, which has now been rebranded themselves as the Vertical Flight Society, and they're trying to attract all that other. Uh, attention into into their efforts and and that makes sense i think you're just seeing the same thing here mm -hmm. yeah, very and you're cool. also seeing you know besides tilt rotor the other thing that seems to be coming back well kind of a combination of things is uh, and i believe one of the new uh helicopters it's i can't remember if it's bell or boeing or somebody's designing it's uh, uh counter rotating rotors with a pusher prop and uh and no uh, uh yep. shaft and, and you know because you get much more lift out of it that way yeah yeah, true. I think we covered that one. I, I can't remember. You, you'd think I'd know these things off the top of my head, but um, there's only so many penguins on the, uh, you know, on the, the iceberg. But the, uh, yeah, I think that's as technology goes uh, forward with uh, different, uh, you know, different composite materials. You, you're probably going to start seeing some of these things come back. I, I, you know, the quadcopter thing has actually been around for uh, since the dawn of aviation. They just couldn't get it to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, this is true. Of course, and, and now with, with modern technology and stuff, they, they've yeah. they've managed to do that. Uh, we're going to move on, if that's okay, guys. Uh, Micah, if you could take the next story, please. This is on the uh, Popular Mechanics website. Yes, the Blue Angels are getting a new Fat Albert, and the U.S. Navy's Blue Angels flying team is getting a new sidekick, one procured from across the pond, and I think that's just wonderful. <laughs> Fat Albert, the C-130T that flies to, the, uh, flies to air show locations with the rest of the team, is being replaced with a new C-130J, but was recently retired from the Royal Air Force. The new Fat Albert will have a longer range, greater carrying capacity, allowing it to carry more of the team's equipment. Reported in the Aviationist, the U.S. Navy's Aviation Department, NAVAIR has signed a $29.7 million contract to buy the UC-130J from the United Kingdom's Ministry of Defense. The U.K. declared the aircraft surplus, replacing them with Airbus A400M's Atlas military transports if they can get them to fly. The old fat Howard... <laughs> A C-130T Hercules transport flew more than 30,000 hours in support of the Blue Angels, was retired in May of 2019. The Navy doesn't have another C-130T and cast about for a replacement. Navy and Marine Corps C-130s will continue to, as temp uh, aircraft as a Blue Angel support aircraft, uh, working as a Blue Angel support aircraft until 2020 when the XRAF RAF aircraft will be ready. 
Fantastic. It's, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's been uh, well proven. It's a very versatile aircraft, isn't it? It's, uh, it's very popular with a lot of, um, with a lot of uh, military uh, operations because of its size and its ability to transport stuff. I mean, it, ma it makes a, a perfect replacement for, their, for, their ages, for the aged predecessor. It's a proven aircraft. It's as old or maybe a few months older than I am. Well, that's like, from my perspective, seeing the Blue Angels, it's actually probably my favorite part of the show because it's the one that doesn't go by in a quarter of a second. Yeah. Well, yeah. There, there I was, and, I was and actually just going to It really is shocking what they can do with that thing. <laughs> I was just going to say that, that for aviation enthusiasts, the C-130 that accompanies the Blue Angels is almost as much of a, of a treat. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because the, the C-130J, it'll be able to carry an entire additional pallet position of cargo and personnel, mm. but the airplane by itself is is capable of some pretty amazing things yeah yeah no it, it, it's an amazing aircraft for sure uh, on to the next uh, story Stephen this is with you we're back to flight global for for this one yes this is uh, your fighters collide at high altitude uh, Germany's Air Force the Luftwaffe has disclosed uh, further details about the fatal collision between two Eurofighter combat aircraft that took place near Rostock on uh, 24 June the pair were a part of a formation of three single-seat Eurofighters uh, practicing an air combat mission at an altitude of 9,800 feet, the Luftwaffe says. During these exercises, two fighters intercept an opponent represented by a third aircraft and try to get into position to strike. The Luftwaffe says aircraft can constantly change positions in confined space at high speeds during these exercises and operate the mission as a visual flight. Mirror conditions in the exercise were considered good, with few clouds, a clear sky, the Luftwaffe says, and about in but the two aircraft collided during the exercise and crashed in Mertz Lake District near an area in northeast Germany. One of the two one of the pilots operated the ejection seat and survived with minor injuries. The other pilot was killed. The third pilot reported the, the accident and safely landed at the formation's base at Rostock Airport. All three Eurofighter pilots were part of the Luftwaffe 73 squadron. Um, yeah, so I suppose these guys were out there practicing what they're supposed to be trained up to do and um, ended up uh, hitting each other while they were doing maneuvers. Um, you know, what? I, I mean, I haven't flown a fighter, but um, it, 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 even in just a regular plane, mm -hmm. when you start... Um, going nose to nose or getting close to an aircraft, the closure rate is uh, awfully fast. And even if you think you can roll out of the position you're in, it's, but if you've already thought about it, you're too late. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the loss of aircraft is not the bit that bothers me so much. It's more the fact that, you know, a couple of people lost their lives. And as you say, one, one guy managed to actually eject safely. Um, but, um, yeah, so one it's... of my big big irk with this particular event was some of the coverage of it early on. Had I mean, the, all the leading coverage of it said that both pilots had ejected safely and were on the ground, and then 12 hours later they said, "Oh no, just kidding, one of them didn't." That's pretty rough. Yeah, it's it's. I think I think this is a common problem though with with the sort of twenty four hour rolling news, isn't it? You've got mm -hmm. a, a story that that is obviously big big news, essentially, where somebody has uh, you know there's been a plane crash. Whether we like it or not, it it will always be big news. Um, but uh, of course, it, it's trying to grab as much detail as possible and getting it out there as quickly as possible. And of course, you know when you are doing it on the fly, uh, you haven't got time for error checking, and you know, and you have yeah. to feel for 
for the families involved in this because there is every possibility that members of the family were thinking oh well they both ejected oh phew that's fine I mean I guess perhaps you wouldn't be aware uh, who you know which member of your family was flying where I guess but uh, yeah I just you know th this is the trouble with 24 hour news coverage isn't it it really is. It's just, you know, they, they tend, I mean, you're right. It's a difficult thing to balance, but I, I feel like the, the general tendency is to just go, you know, one step too far. Usually yeah. that that's usually not way off. It's not that the whole article is no. wrong. It's just that one component is a yeah. little bit too far. But it, but it changed it, you know, to, to, to say that two people, uh, to, to say that both pilots ejected safely uh, is very different to one pilot ejected safely and one, one lost their life. I mean, that, that's a very different story. Isn't it? You know, it's got absolutely. Very... I mean, I think the thing to do if you're not sure is one pilot ejected safely, and you know, we're waiting status updates on the others. Yeah, it's quite simple. Mm. Yeah, and along those sort of same lines, um, the uh, even more recently than the Eurofighter crash, the uh, the Bundeswehr lost a helicopter, an EC-135, where two um, uh, soldiers uh, also lost their life. So, um, to the Bundeswehr and the Luftwaffe, you know, we. Uh, Thoughts and prayers, and uh, much, we yeah. hope the uh, investigations come out something that we can improve upon. Yeah, very much so. Uh, Robert, the last story uh, in the military is with you. This is on thedrive.com. It is, and then it's subtitled The War Zone. Russia reportedly developing its own AC-130 light gunship from converted AN-12 cargo planes. Uh, the project will start with converting a single Antonov AN-12 to carry a pair of 57mm cannons to help with further development of the final design. Uh, Russia is reportedly looking to develop an AC-130 light gunship armed with a pair of 57mm automatic cannons as well as additional smaller guns. The first phase of the project would involve the conversion of an Antonov AN-12 Cub cargo plane into a flying test bed to experiment with different weapons and tactics, techniques, and procedures. Uh, State-owned media outlet TASS reported the new development on June 26th, uh, citing an anonymous source within Russia's state-run military-industrial complex. This individual disclosed the new information on the sidelines of the Army 2019 International Military and Technical Forum, which had opened the day before, uh, and there's more about the event. But short version is work has begun to develop a flying artillery battery and aircraft directly supporting troops on the battlefield similar to the american ac-130 gunships the source told tass the an-12 military transport aircraft with two 57 millimeter guns will be used as a flying laboratory now there's I no information as to who what company or companies are involved what type of guns or anything else but that's basically what we've got yeah, pretty <laughs> nicely summarised. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, uh, Armando. Uh, I mean, it does look very similar to the the C-130J that we were talking about a moment ago, actually, in regards to things like payload and and stuff. Are, are they quite similar? Uh, well, they are. Uh, the um, the <laughs> this airplane's been around for a long, long time. The concept of a airborne gunship has been around for a while. I, I, probably the the most fame it garnered was in uh, in Vietnam when when we hung uh, some uh, Gatling guns off the sides of C-47s, and uh, the I believe the Colombians still operate a few turbo um, DC-3s with uh, guns hanging off the side where there's very little automation, and the pilots just kind of look out the window and point it down at the ground and see where the rounds go and and. But uh, it sounds like this aircraft, this Russian version of it, is is going to have an S60, which is, uh, or at least a modern derivative of an S60 uh, cannon, 
which they'll probably link up. It's the same thing that they use on some of their tanks. So they'll, they'll probably put some kind of fire control system in it with a, uh, with some kind of steering ability where they can control it from inside of the, the cabin on a pallet position or something. So, mm. but uh, you know, you know, it's, uh, this is incredibly important when you're talking about, um, some of the environments the Russian forces are operating in, especially in the Middle East and Syria, you know, they're, they're involved in, in the same fight we are, um, against some of these organizations. And, uh, they're probably looking at the effectiveness of the AC-130, um, and how we employ it saying, man, we need, we need to get something like that, uh, back in the air. So, hmm. uh, yeah, and AC stands for attack cargo, and it's designed for uh, ground attack and ground support. And our, our AC 130s have uh, some incredible uh, firepower on them. There's a 25 uh, millimeter Gatling gun that can fire at 18 rounds per minute. There's a 40 millimeter 40 millimeter Bofors gun that can fire at 120 rounds per minute, and there's a 10 millimeter M102 howitzer on there that can fire six to ten. Oh, it's a it's a 105 millimeter. Oh, if they did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was go, I was just going to throw this out there too. I I uh, I flew with a guy back when I first started, did my checkout in CRJ, but his family owns an artillery firm that they were getting ready to test out the 155 millimeter howitzer with a new recoil system so they could put it on a, a, a C-130. So yeah. just, that's that's a big shell to be lobbing from 15. Yeah, like Armando's got it illustrated so, for us here. <laughs> this uh, this right here is 105 millimeter uh, shell. Wow! Um, so you can see it's it's pretty pretty big, uh, and then that's a 30 millimeter shell that's attached to it, so I can drink out of this. I can say, uh, I can say, do, do, do they all come with that really cool plaque on the front as well? Is is is, is that standard? No, <laughs> no, they gave they they gave this to me when I left, but uh, but just for for reference you know that's uh this one has a scotch bottle in it oh very good but uh, <laughs> so you can consider it a high explosive but uh, right. for, that's a 105 millimeter shell it's wow. it's pretty darn big yeah actually yeah, it's quite interesting because you sort of, you sort of throw the number out there 105 mil it doesn't it doesn't really sort of i suppose in in the context i suppose when you wow okay this on, is this is the bullet that fires out of that <laughs> shell so wow okay I mean, I mean, I suppose actually it is quite small when you think about the size of the aircraft uh, and that kind of thing, um, and and obviously the damage that that is capable of doing. I mean, it, 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 you're holding it in your hand, you know. It, 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 I suppose in relation to everything, it's not that large. Yeah, no, but it makes it pretty. Big big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's different techniques to firing, and there's different types of ammunition that they can load on it. You know, it's it's not necessarily point impact type stuff. Uh, Right. Some of it will will um, mm. detonate a few meters above the ground, so you can use it as a sort of a a squad defense type type weapon. Other, you, know, you there's all kinds of weaponeering that goes into shooting these things out of out of a, an airplane, and uh, the, we've got it down pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what the Russians come up with. I'm sure they they. Um, have been looking at some of our technologies and will probably come up with, with something similar. Oh, I, don't, I, 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 I don't know what you mean. I, that's, a, that's a terrible slur. Anyway, we'll leave it there before we all end up in court. Uh, it is, uh, that is where we bring the military uh, segment to a close. Thank you, as always, Armando, for, for sorting that out for us. It is uh, really time to start wrapping up the show. We are. I can't believe how quickly the last couple of hours have gone. They really have uh, uh, romped by. Uh, Armando, what uh, projects do you have uh, on your uh, 
on your itinerary for next week. <laughs> well, so, so we've been talking about some of this Reno Air Ray stuff. Uh, there's so much to talk about that what I intended to be a 20 minute interview with uh, George Catalano turned into an hour and 44 minutes. Excellent. So yeah. it's taken yeah. me a couple of weeks to edit it. Uh, I think it'll end up going out as a two part yeah. um, just to make it a little bit more, more palatable, yeah. but uh, we'll see that in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Uh, we're, we're always a big fan of a mini series here. So do feel free to break it into three sections. That's also fine. Uh, <laughs> now really a genuine, genuinely really looking forward to, to listening to those. That's going to be really interesting. Uh, Micah, what is on your itinerary for next week? Well, a week from Sunday is the uh, second one that I'll be attending. July 14th is the Spurwink Farms Pancake Breakfast and Fly-In that takes place on this beautiful horse farm out in the, uh, in the middle of Cape Elizabeth, Maine. And uh, I went there last year, and I think on the screen right now is a picture of a 1929 Travel Air that was there. There were hundreds of airplanes there. This was one of my favorites, a beautiful open cockpit biplane. And the Travel Air was designed by uh, names you may know, uh, Mr. Cessna, uh, Mr. Stearman, and a Mr. Beach form Travel Air. The, the, those are names that even I've heard of. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll be attending that. Uh, it's a great pancake breakfast with real Maine maple syrup. The farm is right on a hillside that overlooks the ocean and just around uh, around the corner from it is Higgins Beach. So uh, when people come to it, they sometimes come in the morning for breakfast, watch all the airplanes come in and land, explore them all, and then take the kids out to the beach, go swimming in the afternoon. Wow, that, that sounds like a very pleasant afternoon. Uh, in case people have been sort of hiding under a rock, how do they find out about, because uh, obviously you've appeared on our show, but you do appear on a certain other podcast as well. How do they stumble across the marvellous other enterprise you're involved in? Well, I'm uh, sometimes a contributor at large with the Airplane Geeks. I happen to have a piece on this week with a young lady, a 14-year-old girl named Riley Spidell, who uh, solo got her uh, solo and is able to solo a glider. She got her she's working on a glider license at 14. You're able to solo, and she managed to do a little cross-country uh, one from. Uh, Marina, California, to Sanford, Maine, uh, with her father following her in the motor glider. And so that's on this week's Airplane Geeks at AirplaneGeeks.com. If you want to reach me by email, it's Micah at AirplaneGeeks.com. And if you want to catch me on Twitter, it's Maine, like the state of Maine, M-A-I-N-E, fly, Maine, fly. There we go. Thank you, Micah. Well done. And uh, Robert, obviously, you're, uh, you're a very busy man as well. Uh, it, photography is, is your game, I suppose. Uh, what, got anything interesting uh, uh, up next week? Or are you hoping to get some flying in, you were saying earlier? Yeah, I'm trying to get out and uh, get up to the airport and get current again. I do a little bit of flying, and I think we're going to try and go get some oysters this week, perhaps. But uh, I'm trying to get back onto the uh, back under the wings, if you will, or on top of them, whichever airplane I can get my hands on. <laughs> um, I'm uh, tonight. I'm headed up to uh, about two and a half hours from here into the state of Pennsylvania, and uh, a good friend of mine has a a barn with a concert grade sound system in it and they throw a big fourth of july party every year but they oh, always wow. do it on the saturday so this year it is in fact a sixth of july uh, party <laughs> so i'll be going up there and uh hanging out for the weekend uh generally running the soundboard and probably playing a little bit of music and that kind of stuff but mostly hanging out outside and shooting off lights of uh fireworks lots of fireworks and uh, and, and some adult beverages along the way I'm of sure. course <laughs> um, and then then next week i'm going to try and do some flying and we're we're getting firmly into the throes of uh oshkosh planning as we oh, yeah here in about two weeks myself and a good friend of mine who's uh the other person who formerly flew my plane oh, um, wow. so we'll be we'll be driving out to to 
Wisconsin will like the, uh, well, a number of us, I think, and uh, hopefully meeting up with a bunch of people there. Yeah, very much looking forward to, to Oshkosh. Armando will be representing us this year. Uh, very much looking forward to, to uh, hopefully, lots of content that's uh, put together for that. Uh, if mm-hmm. uh, people would like to, because uh, you, you are you know, quite well known for your photography and things like that, how can people get in touch with you and see, see what you get up to? So the easiest way to find me in general is uh, probably on Twitter. It's RG Fairbairn. So it's Romeo Golf, Foxtrot, Alpha, India, Romeo, Bravo, Alpha, India, Romeo, November, because nobody spells my name right. Although those of you in the UK tend to do better than most of the people <laughs> over here in the States. Um, so that, RG yeah, that, Fairbairn. That, that's because we spell everything wrong in the first place, uh, according to, to you guys. <laughs> so it's just. Like... It's also because my name is unheard of here, and it's quite common in your, your sort of northern skirt-wearing uh, environs up there. <laughs> (laughs) where my ancestors come from so um but uh, rg fairbairn is me on twitter and then robert fairbairn all spelled out no dots no nothing no spaces is uh where to find me on instagram um most of that stuff is sort of landscape driven it's not what pays the bills but there's some aviation things in there as well i I would say robert fairbairn.com except i'm in the middle of overhauling it so there's not much going on there right now no but uh, certainly stick it in the memory banks and perhaps have a look uh, at a later date uh uh, stephen uh, i I presume you're uh, behind the controls this week uh i have been uh i got a trip starting sunday so i'm gonna fly up to chicago uh tomorrow to uh be in position to start the trip sunday uh gonna be in uh, cape Girardeau, missouri and south bend this trip just a three-day trip nowhere really exciting and had a lot of time to do a whole lot but that's uh how things are sometimes wow it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's. I suppose. It, I mean, we, we, we're in what we call we call it silly season here in the UK. Like, you know, every, everybody's flying everywhere. I suppose when the the when do the kids uh, break up from school and stuff? When does school and college and that finish? Does it does that have much of an impact on on passenger numbers and things in the states? Yeah, I, I think most schools and everything get out in May. Some areas. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and the, but they already start back in August. Some places start a little bit later, but I, I, it's been a little busier as far as mm. pasture loads have gone. Um, the weather, thunderstorms, and everything have been kind of causing yeah. me a headache um, in Chicago. They kind of are a little overly proactive about delay programs and everything. Yeah. Um, I set I set my personal best best taxi record the other day hour and 20 minutes from gate to runway in chicago so that was fun oh wow <laughs> that doesn't sound great I've got yeah, to you're still getting paid right <laughs> yes still getting paid yeah i, I I've, I've discovered in chicago the trailers let use the word eventually so anytime i say <laughs> whatever runway then eventually it's it's not a it's not a good thing for you right <laughs> right. And if people would like to follow you uh, on social media, uh, uh, how do they find you on Twitter and things like that? Yeah, so you can find me on Facebook or Twitter. It's my first and last name, Stephen for PH. Ivy is I V E Y, 1990. And then that's uh, for both Facebook and uh, Twitter as my username. So you can find me on there. Very cool. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with Plain Talking UK, you can find our website www.plaintalkinguk.com. Our email address is uh, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. That's podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your audio feedback uh, or uh, any comments or suggestions you have uh, for the show. Uh, you know, probably one after this is never leave Matt in charge on his own ever again. Uh, and uh, yeah, you'll find us on social media by searching for our handle 
which is Plain Talking UK. Uh, that is where we have to wrap things up, guys. Uh, we will uh, see you all next week. Uh, thank you so much to my marvellous guests. Thank you, Robert. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Micah. And, of course, thank you to the legend that is Armando. Thank you so much for joining us. It is uh, time to go. We will see you all next week. So from everyone here are online everybody it's time to say goodbye say goodbye everyone bye everyone bye, bye all bye everybody <laughs>